Sihun, welcome to the Korea Deconstructed podcast. The first question I have for you, like in any other country, this is a really easy question, but in Korea, it's kind of weird. How old are you? Yeah, that's um, that's a question that gets me every time too. Mm. Uh, because, you know, there's a difference between our Korean age and what I like to call the American age. Mm. Um, I like to call it have. the British age, but you can call uh, it. Okay, <laughs> British age. Um, but yeah, so I always have to think about it for a couple of seconds as well. <laughs> um, but I was born in 2005. Mm-hmm. So, you know, personally, I like to go with um, the younger version of my age. <laughs> I think that works um, well, usually. So mm. um, my birthday's passed, so that would actually be 17 years old now. 17. So it, you're, you're absolutely right. It is weird because in Korea, you can have up to three different ages. And, and my kids, they know that if I ask them in English or if I ask them in Korean, they'll give a different age according to the uh, language yeah. that's used. So just very quickly, the, they've announced that they're going to change this aging system. Uh, and official documents now in Korea are going to use, let's call it, international age i know you like american (laughs) age but um (laughs) any thoughts on that is this a good sign are we are we losing some element of what it means to be korean or well i think it's you can look at it in both ways personally coming from a background where i've where i'm studying at an international school Mm. so usually i do end up interacting much more with people from other countries than i do uh, than I would um, normally interact with as you know, just an average um, Korean person or average Korean student. Mm. So I do think I'm uh, personally a bit biased uh, to prefer um, standardizing the age across um, countries that I think that would just make things a lot easier for people, especially because Korea, you know, as we, uh, it's not unique to Korea, the entire world is globalizing. We're interacting with more people around the world. Mm. I think that just makes it easier for other people to also understand Korea better Mm -hmm. uh, when you don't have to pause for, you know, like five minutes to explain this is the way that we do age in Korea. Yeah. Yeah, because you do have to pause. That's why it's it's one of those questions. Okay, but you're 17, you're 2005. Now, from this kind of like personal wage, in terms of generation, I hear lots of talk these days about like generation Z, millennials, boomers and like (laughs) MZs. They're all a little bit confusing for me, these terms. Do do any of these terms mean anything to you? and, and, And do you do you describe yourself or do you categorize yourself as one of these particular generations? How does that work, Sihun? Yeah, I think generation, you know, the difference between generations is really something that I think is is, um, explored and used a lot more by the media, more Mm. so than, you know, average people. Um, Like when I'm talking with my friends or when I'm talking with teachers, you know, the first question that we ask isn't what generation do you belong to, mm. right? Um, it's usually, you know, just those basic details. What's your name? What's your age? Um, and I think the way that we categorize different generations is also a little bit, um, from my point of view, a little bit pro- problematic mm. in the sense that, um, you know, one of the terms that I think is used a lot here in Korea is the MZ generation, mm, right. um, which basically groups 
two generations together, the millennials and Generation Z, which if you think about it, is actually a really large group of people across a very um, broad range of age groups. Mm -hmm. And to say that, you know, MZ group, they're all relatively young, so they must have similar characteristics and they come from similar backgrounds, I think um, sort of ignores that diversity within that age group and within that so-called MZ generation. Um, and, you know, even amongst Generation Z people, for example, I was uh, actually talking with some of my friends um, very recently. Hmm. And one of the things that was brought up was, oh, um, one of my friends met this village schooler or elementary school student hmm. uh, who grew up after Gangnam Style. And we were like, how is that possible? Right. Um, and so I think, you know, there are these differences even amongst quote unquote young people. Um, that I think we need to recognize that, you know, average day Koreans or average day people, we realize those differences exist, but they aren't labeled um, properly um, through those generation labels. Absolutely. And I think in, according to some classifications, like I'm a millennial, I think I was born 1981. So like to have this MZ, it, yeah. it's, it, it's such a huge span of time. And I know what you mean by people growing up after Gangnam Style. This will this will mean nothing to you. But the other a while ago, I asked somebody, I spoke to somebody, and I said, "Man, this is just like Bill and Ted." And the person looked at me and was like, "David, what's Bill and Ted?" And I suddenly, suddenly felt so old. Um, Sihoon, these terms. So I I see MZ in Korean newspapers all the time. Yeah, is that what is that what is used? Are there other terms? Is I mean, we we spoke about this idea of international age and Korean age. Is it the same in the international media or international conversations and Korean conversations? Are the same words being used? Do you find any differences in the nuances? Or is this like a, a more global categorization of young people? I think it's um, because um, the way that the term generation MZ or the MZ generation is used here in Korea is usually um, in relation to politics. Mm. Um, I think there is a general consensus um, uh, across um, different countries and different cultures that there are certain political characteristics that differentiate between different generations of people. Mm. Um, I think you know, usually just in terms of like stereotypes, we usually think of older people or older generations as being more conservative mm -hmm. uh, and younger people as being relatively more progressive. I think the same applies here in Korea, where um, although, as I'm sure we'll probably get to a little bit later, uh, there are some differences here in Korea, especially with some of the more recent elections mm -hmm. um, that, that might challenge that idea a little bit. Uh, but at least prior to those elections, that was also um, the general consensus here in Korea, younger people tend to vote uh, more progressive, more uh, quote-unquote left-wing. Um, and I think it's just that in Korea, we've decided to call that group of people the MZ generation. There are other terms that are used. Um, for example, uh, we some newspapers uh, also call them the 2030 Sede, which is basically like the 2030 mm. um, age group, which I think is a little bit... Um, a little bit more uh, accurate in the sense that MZ generation would include 
people like me who haven't voted yet, who can't vote yet. Mm -hmm. So do we really have that same level of impact in uh, our national politics? Um, you know, there may be some debate in that regard, whereas 20 uh, people in their 20s and 30s, at the very least, they do get to vote. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a certain amount of uh, political influence that they have in that regard. Uh, there's also uh, more specifically uh, when newspapers refer to uh, age groups in relation to gender as well, uh, such as Ide uh, Nam, which basically refers to people in their 20s who are male. Mm -hmm. uh, so we start to specify those specific demographics um, within our society, which I think um, ends up being a lot more accurate than just that broad uh, umbrella term of MZ generation, which I think um, actually includes like one third of the Korean population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a large number of people that we're just saying all have the same characteristics, all vote the same way, all think the same way. Mm, which is clearly not the case. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you said this thing about Gen Z or the, the 2030s, these people generally as a as a general characteristic associated with more progressive, let's say, political or social values. Yes. If we just try to expand that a little bit more broadly, what do you think are some of the the images, the values, the associations, the ideas that are, are connected to Generation Z or the, the, these young people? I mean, is is it just like progressive social values? And if so, what does that mean? Or is there more to it, Sihun? I think there's um, definitely a lot of different factors that come into play, especially when we're talking about generational differences, just because the environment that people grow up in um, are very different between mm. uh, generations. Uh, even over the course of a single year, you can have like new technological innovations that completely change um, the environment that people grow up in, the educational environment, the social environment, uh, even the cultural environment. Um, so, for example, uh, the technology that uh, people in my age group grew up with versus the technology that people maybe who are born, who were born this year, are going to grow up with is probably going to look extremely different. Mm -hmm. um, I know uh, one of the things that I remember, I have a younger sister who's three years younger than me. Uh, and, you know, three years isn't that big of a difference. But one of the things I remember is when my sister was growing up, uh, I think in elementary school, mm. she had something called a kid's phone, uh, which is this like mini, almost like Apple Watch looking kind of uh, phone device that didn't exist when I was growing up. Uh, so I was like, what's that? <laughs> uh, so even those kind of small differences that may not seem as significant, um, those have an impact in you know the age that uh, people are exposed to those types of technologies what they can do with those types of technologies mm. um so i think it's really um with the with generation z it's all about technology <laughs> I, I don't want to say that you know everyone's exactly the same mm. um obviously even within generation z there are going to be some people who uh, maybe a little bit more old fashioned uh, or other people who may be, you know, really strong advocates of using more technology and more innovations who are really into coding. Uh, 
Um, so I think there are some differences, but you can't deny the fact that this is the environment that people are growing up in. Mm. And whatever your reaction to that environment is, it is a it is an outcome and a product of that environment that you grew up in. Sure. Yeah, you grow up as digital natives and these things yeah. were all around you. I had to adapt to the internet as it became part of our lives. When you say technology plays a really important role, is that just like using technology? I mean, like your generation, do you have any thoughts on metaverse and NFTs and coding? Because these are the buzzwords, right? And fourth yeah. industrial revolution. And my nephew, he goes to a, a high, pretty good high school here, and they sometimes do like seminars in metaverse things. And he, he walks around inside this space. I think the graphics look terrible, Sihun. I, 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 like, I don't know what's going on. It looks like some old 1990s Doom game or something. But it, it, does technology, can you give us some insight into like this metaverse NFTs? Is that what you mean or is it different? Um, I mean, metaverse, NFTs, Bitcoin, all of those things are definitely part of that um, uh, category of technolo technology. Mm. Um, but I think it's also a lot of other things. For example, um, you know, Korea, I think, is unique in the sense that we have, we're basically like the home country of one of the largest um, electronics companies in the world, Samsung. Um and I think that creates a very, yeah, <laughs> I think that creates a very different environment as well um, compared to, for example, uh, someone growing up in a country like Japan, where mm -hmm. their companies um, focus on a lot of other things of very different categories like Sony and um, that or Nintendo. They grew up in a very different environment. Samsung focuses on completely different aspects of technology mm. so as a person growing up in korea um i think devices like phones computers uh even like tvs um people are much more interested in those things mm -hmm. and much more interested in what's going on in that particular market in that particular industry mm. uh compared to for example uh, another industry that may be also technologically related and kind of on the rise, but isn't so relevant to a um, domestic company or like mm -hmm. a Korean company, mm -hmm. which it's a little bit hard to find something like that here in Korea, just because there are a lot of companies that do IT and do technology. Uh, you know, you look at um, cars and you have Hyundai and you have like, even games esports is a really big thing here in yeah, korea man. so yeah. yes i think koreans um we're kind of uh unique in that we care about we really like technology and we really like it and we really are interested in innovation mm -hmm. and i think a part of that is really uh if you look at korea you know it's a relatively small country with a relatively small population, there aren't a lot of natural resources here in Korea. Mm. Um, so one of the things that a lot of people like to credit as um, having contributed to Korea's success economically is that technological innovation and kind of seizing those opportunities. Um, so I think in a lot of Koreans' minds, that's still a very big factor, you know, especially as our economy has you know, obviously the economic growth of our country has been kind of going down uh, mm -hmm. relative to 
uh, what some people might consider to have been kind of the prime of Korean kind of innovation and industrial uh, development. Um, so people are kind of looking towards um, the next big thing, I think is a term that's really used a lot, not just in Korea, but around the world. What's mm-hmm. going to be that next big thing that we can invest in, that we can really uh, seize um, to uh, strengthen our country? I want to ask you about the future in the minute, Sihun, but when you're talking about Samsung and technology, um, I noticed, maybe it's just among sort of my generation, that people always either have a Samsung or an iPhone. Like, it, it, it's one of these. I heard somebody say to me the other day, if somebody doesn't have an iPhone, I wouldn't date them. I was like, wow. Well, <laughs> me, personally, I like Samsung because you can break the phones and you get no adverts and you can add blocks mm-hmm. and things like that. So I, I'm all about that kind of stuff. Among your generation is like, do you notice any tendencies, like the iPhones are cool or the Samsungs or you get, what happens with that, Sihun? I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's a debate that transcends age levels. <laughs> um, yeah. I know that's uh, that's something that a lot of my friends like to uh, debate about as well. Especially whenever the new iPhone comes out or the new Samsung phone comes out, it's like, mm. um, I have this new Samsung phone. It's better than like your old iPhone from like three years ago. Um, I I'm personally also uh, on the side of Samsung, um, but I know some of my friends are iPhone users and you know I think a lot of what a lot of people who prefer iPhones I think what they argue is you know it looks better the design is uh kind of smoother yeah uh I yeah I think it's really at that point it's just a matter of personal opinion mm-hmm. I do think you know as Koreans people tend to prefer Samsung just because it's a Korean company um but I I don't think it's uh to the point that you know, I would say all Koreans love Samsung. I think it's pretty evenly split here as well. Sure, sure, sure. Now, one of the things you said to me, Sihun, was that the media likes to use MZ terms and things like that. And I think you're absolutely correct. There's a lot of times I see in, you know, articles and media about like, and NZ generation. And when I speak to Korean people, they're like, we never use those words. They're like <laughs> nice terms that sociologists make up, yeah. right? Um, so when you and people your age are hanging out and, and talking about things and what interests you, like, and I know you're not representative of the whole of Korea, yeah. but what is it? So you've mentioned technology, like, what else? What are the kind of interests, the values? What's going on in the the minds and ideas of people your age, Sihun? Um, I think the really um, interesting thing that I, or at least I personally find it very interesting is that I think young people are um, starting to care about politics as well. Um, politics and sort of cultures, um, our society. Mm. Um, and the reason I say that that's interesting is, you know, um, if you look at kind of Korea as a whole, um, just like over the last couple of decades, um, really, I, I would say that Korea's main focus and um, the main focus of Koreans as a whole has been primarily economic, mm. Um, mm. Uh, especially after the Korean War, um, which, you know, I think we like to talk about that as something that's um, kind of way back in the past. Um, But something that uh, I think, especially as a Korean, you're 
constantly reminded of is, you know, no, wait, actually, if you go back, you know, even like, you know, three generations or four generations, uh, they were people who actually experienced those events directly. Mm. Um, and even afterwards, we had like several military dictatorships. Um, so I think it was really all about how can we survive um, rather than how can we improve our government system to make it more democratic or to um, provide better social welfare, mm. um, which I guess, you know, you could call that sort of um, the concerns uh, that only a developed country can have. Uh, and I think now that we're starting to kind of enter that phase of Korea being a relatively developed country, um, you know, we have a pretty stable economy. Uh, a lot of Korean people are starting to look past, you know, economic growth, although that is still a major factor, uh, and look more towards how can we improve our society? How can we address these social issues in our society? And I think that's also one of the reasons why a lot of um, the social issues that we're talking about right now weren't really talked about as much. Um, if we go back even just a couple of years, like the gender issue mm. is, is a really um, sort of modern debate that we've started to have here in Korea. It, it was always an issue, but it wasn't this much of an issue that mm -hmm. really could kind of sway entire elections outcomes. Um, same thing with like uh, housing prices is another major social issue here in Korea, uh, which is also a very recent development Whereas, you know, young people now are at a point where they have the capacity to kind of engage in those economic activities. Mm. So those problems in our society that prevent them from doing that become much more apparent. Mm. Uh, and they have the power to kind of voice that opinion and voice their um, concerns. And I think that's really changed um, from the past, um, you know, even just a decade ago. So I think, and growing up in that time period, obviously as uh, teenagers, we can't really vote. Um, and we aren't like out there trying to buy houses right now ourselves, but mm. uh, we do recognize those issues and we're starting to care about that as well. Uh, because, you know, in just a couple of years, that's going to be us too. So how can we um, prepare for that? I think it's really interesting that you have that historical perspective, Sihun, because the first challenge for South Korea after uh, the Korean War or its establishment was economic development. And then the next challenge was democratization. And yes. now you're so and you you needed the economic development to get the democratization. Yeah. <laughs> now you've got the democratization, you have freedom to express your opinions and do various things and also the economic stability to a certain extent which is good so when you talk about now you have this kind of it's your turn to do something with korea are you positive about it i know there's a lot of talk sometimes we get in the media about young people not having hope it's hard to get jobs it's hard to get on the housing uh, to get a house um we hear talk about like like giving up these things. Yeah. But you've highlighted like a fight or a mission. Are you confident about that? Do you see it playing out? How do you see this next stage of South Korea's development and, and your role in it? Well, I think 
Uh, I think the best way to describe it would be um, cautious optimism. Um, mm. You know, I, I think it's, um, I don't think we can completely ignore the issues um, that we're facing. Obviously, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles. You know, um, if the last presidential election has shown us anything, it's that, you know, we're facing the exact same issues that basically any other or every other um, really democratic country in the world right now is facing, mm. uh, which is polarization, social issues that we can't somehow uh, seem to find a compromise for. Um, you know, we're really living in a very divided age, I think. Um, that said, I think it's another thing is, I remember a couple of years ago, I think this was back in 2016, um, right after uh, Donald Trump was elected to uh, be the next American president, one of my teachers at our school asked me, uh, you know, see, what do you think is one of the reasons for um, this, you know, what was then, you know, sudden rise of uh, conservatism? Uh, mm -hmm. in the world. And similarly, in Europe, there was uh, an increase in nationalism and anti-Semitism at the time and populism. <coughs> Brexit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so I think one of the things that we talked about was, you know, yes, there is this rise, but if you think about it to a certain extent, um, there is also, you know, such a thing as a political cycle, I mm -hmm. think where you know different ideologies kind of have a certain level of dominance at different points in time like nationalism that's not a new concept necessarily uh, that's existed throughout history it's just been called different things and it just had uh, it's just been dominant at certain different periods of time same thing with more democratic values um, it's just the way that they manifest um, in our present day uh, and how much power they have um, and how much support um, those different ideologies have from the people. Um, so I think it's something very similar right now where, yes, we do seem to be pretty divided, um, but then at the same time, you could ask when was humanity ever not divided? Um, you know, it's always a constant debate. It's, con it's a constant, um, you know, conflict. And, and in some ways that conflict is what drives progress um, it's just, I think, a matter of the way that we approach that conflict, our attitude and engaging mm. in that discussion and in that debate, um, whether we are willing to find a common area, find common ground, find that gray area that we can all agree on. Um, and I think that's um, sort of the part that's been relatively lacking in some of the more recent political discourse. So I think once we can find that... Um, attitude again uh, as a society once we can uh, recover that mindset mm. i i think we'll uh, we'll be good to go yeah cautious optimism is good that's that's a nice way to have it um the korean economist hajun chang he often quotes the italian marxist antonio gramsci by saying i'll probably get it a little bit wrong but i paraphrase paraphrase by saying uh i'm a cynic of my mind, but an optimist of my soul. 
you know when you when you when you think about it logic well there's problems but deep down you have this kind of optimism and yeah that that kind of unity and realizing you're on the same side that you may have disagreements but you know you're all on the same side here essentially yeah. aren't we i mean we want we want good things um I want to come to politics in a bit because you sent me lots of articles about politics and um, I heard your questions at the Brazilian embassy. It's obviously something you have a great passion for. But before we get there, can I ask you, Sihun, about identity? Because yes. ident the, the importance of identity seems to be changing. When I grew up, identity was kind of flattened and you weren't meant to pay attention to somebody's identity, the color of the skin, we were told just treat everybody the same. That was, you know, the, the message. Uh, I, identity has changed in how we're meant to pay attention. You mentioned uh, more idenams and things like this. Mm. In Korea, has identity become a big thing? Have you noticed any changes there or it's it, it's not a bigger deal as we sometimes perhaps see online or how is identity working for, for your generation here in Korea, Sihun? I think um, the thing with identity is um, it's something that I think, at least from my generation and from my experiences, it's something that we need to recognize. Mm. Uh, I think that's sort of um, the shift or the main difference, I would say, you know, we don't um, ignore identity or ignore those differences between people. Mm. And I think you know, there are pros and cons, obviously, to different approaches and different ways of looking at identity. But I personally would say, you know, people are different um, and they have different experiences. They come from different backgrounds. They have different identities. And I think um, really we are losing out on a lot of potential, you know, diversity and a lot of potential progress if we try and ignore all of that. Mm. Uh, and standardize everything and say everyone's exactly the same uh and i think that's kind of the main difference between um you know the difference between the concept of equality and equity i think mm. is something that's really talked a lot um talked about a lot uh at least at my school and with some of the other people that i've talked to is you know we're not trying to say everyone's exactly the same and you know we're all carbon copies of uh, this one template uh we're all different it's just how can we promote that difference in a way that's not divisive mm. um i think that's kind of the main thing here where you know for example looking at the example of korea and korean people identity i think is a very big factor for a lot of koreans um even sometimes you know i speak to people who say you don't know i i don't think that's a very big factor. I don't look at race or I don't look at gender. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, the moment, uh, for example, uh, Japanese prime minister says, Tokdo is Japanese, you know, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna see a lot of Koreans not happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I thought you didn't look at, you know, your national identity, I thought. Um, so I think it's really, um, kind of looking at Koreans, we are um, very much impacted and influenced by our, our um, by our identity. Mm. At the same time, I think there is a difference between um, the way that Koreans uh, as individuals and as real life people um, 
are affected by our identity versus the way that you know the media or that politicians might try and use um, identity to impact people. Uh, for example, I think the gender issue. Uh, that's something that you know most Koreans. I don't think um, would say that that's a very big part of our of our identity. Mm. In that you know you're male, so that's the path you need to follow, or you're female, so that's the path that you need to follow. Yes, there are certain um, you know stereotypes. Obviously, in Korea, still there are some uh, there is some discrimination. Uh, I think you know you can't really deny that in any country. Or and in any culture and society, but I do think, especially with the younger people, it's more about what the government does to try and differentiate between genders that people are are reacting negatively to, mm. rather than our gender or our identity. Um, so if you always look, if you look at the news, it's always you know, for example, young Korean men. Um, being angered by something that the government's proposing to do uh, that will somehow distinguish between uh, Korean females and Korean males. Or similarly, it's, you know, women's organ women's rights organizations um, criticizing the government for uh, doing something that's um, divisive, that's intentionally trying to divide between um, women and men. And I think, so I think it's really about um, the interference Mm -hmm. um of the government and of um those organizations that make us think that there is a difference in our identities and the way that those identities shape the way that we behave and the way that we act why do you think they do it these governments are they malevolent malevolently you know playing games let's put these two against each other and watch them fight or why do you think this takes place because i agree with you by the way soon i see that uh, division being created by uh statements and media and things like that why do you think it happens well i think it's um i don't think there is any one answer that um justifies uh that behavior for everyone uh, mm -hmm. I think different people have different reasons and different groups have different reasons for doing what they're doing and for saying what they're saying. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I'm sure there are pol politicians who, you know, it's coming from uh, what they truly believe um, is an issue in our country. And sometimes, you know, that they may be correct. I think there were definitely instances uh, where a politician or some you know figure said something uh and you'll see that people agree with what they're saying um and i think that's really the best way to differentiate between um divisive statements and mm. statements that are actually made because those people care about what they're saying and care about those social issues is you'll see that reflected in the way that people react to those statements um i think an example I can think of is uh, with like the nth room uh, mm. event or um, case that happened, you know, basically the entire Korean population was like, no, that's a bad thing. We need to address that properly. Mm. Um, you're not going to see um, Korean men, for example, saying, no, like you're discriminating against Korean men by investigating that case. You're not going to see that. Mm. Um, and politicians who speak up about that case, 
you know, they were praised by people. They were said, you know, the people agreed with what they were saying and what they were doing to address that issue. Other times when you see um, these divisive statements, uh, and I think to a certain extent, um, you know, it's sort of 50-50 split between people who are kind of doing it for political reasons. Mm. Uh, I think we can't, you know, as much as we would like for that to not be the case, I think it's impossible to deny that there are some people who kind of use it for their personal advantage and to intentionally sort of create that division. Uh, I think uh, that was really um, the case, for example, in the Korean presidential election recently. Uh, A lot of that, I think, came from trying to get votes um, which I think, you know, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate side effect of democratic elections, I think is, you know, they need to win votes. They're going to have to appeal to people to get votes. And if there's an issue that divides, um, people, you know, it's going to divide people mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's very hard to sort of avoid that issue. Um, but at the same time, like I said, I think there are, um, the majority of the cases, are situations where people are either saying what they truly believe um, mm. to be right or to be just um, based on their personal values and beliefs. Or I think it's sometimes what um, people think is um, what the population wants and what uh, the voters or the electorate wants to happen, which you know, there can be a disconnect between politicians and the people they represent or the media and the people that, and their audience. Uh, I think that's oftentimes the case with these kind of these kinds of issues is they don't really fully understand what exactly it is that people want changing mm-hmm. and want happening in the government. Uh, so they kind of half understand it, half don't understand it. They misinterpret what the people want. So they end up with something that's really not, um, helping anybody mm-hmm. uh and i think that creates even more division so i think it that's really one of the main issues is the lack of communication right and you know sometimes when i i look at real life conversations in in university seminars and lectures that i do with with young korean adults in their 20s and they generally agree on most things. Of course, they have different opinions. There's no one thing. But, in you know, you mentioned the, the Nth Room uh, incident and the crimes that took place there. You know, on certain issues, most of the, the young people, they agree, like, this is right and this is wrong. There might be some other issues where it's debatable, but I think they're all coming to it generally with, you know, positive and generally rather liberal attitudes just because that's their generation. I don't see a lot of the... Whereas when I see in the media or certain politicians, it's very divisive and it's a little bit, yes. devo- a little bit devoid or um, distant from what I experience in real life sometimes. Um, do you do you think young people? I mean, we we talked about this at the start, but one of the conversations that comes up or you see online is that Korean young Koreans have become conservative they're shifting conservative, they're going in cells, there's all right, all these American terms, which I personally don't find very useful for Korean politics, but it gets a lot of traction in the press, especially in the English language press. Yes. Do you see any elements of that in real life? Is it fringe? It's not really there. What's your take on that part of it, Sihoon? Is there a shift to the right among the young people? 
Yeah. Um, firstly, I think I definitely agree with you. Those aren't really terms that I think represent Korean politics or apply to Korean politics as well as they um, do maybe in uh, another country's politics. Um, and I also um, read like articles from different news sources, English news sources about Korean politics. And sometimes I'm like, I don't think that's what's going on. I don't mm. think or, or at least there's room for people to misunderstand what's going on. You're not talking uh, about my articles, are you? See, no, there? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think your articles are a pretty good job. Um, I think, yes. Yeah, so um, I, I think um, the important thing um, to realize is, you know, we say young people are going, quote unquote, going conservative or turning conservative or becoming conservative but i think it's really not um as black and white as um kind of the way that a lot of people try and understand it and i think it's also one of the um characteristics of young people here in korea and maybe in other parts of the world as well is that um we're not uh, especially when it comes to politics we're not as loyal um to one side uh so it's not like once you're um, a Democrat, you're a Democrat forever. Or once you're um, in the Conservative Party, which changes their name quite a lot. Yeah. Um, once you're on their side, you're a conservative for life. Uh, that's not the case um, with young people. You know, even over the course of just a couple of months, you can switch from one party to another. Um, and so I think it's really um, a question of what are these parties doing to either uh, attract or push away young people? Hmm. That's more so the question than rather than are young people more progressive or conservative here in Korea? Uh, and if you really and, and if you look at Korean politics as well, uh, the difference between like the two main parties here in Korea when it comes to like which one's more liberal, which one's or and progressive, which one's more conservative, uh, there's actually not that much difference i find yeah especially if you compare it to like countries uh, like america where mm. i think there's a lot of issues that really divide um the republican party and the democratic party there in america um here in korea you look at like the democratic party of korea the people power party uh they actually agree on a lot of things which i think is pretty surprising like for example if you look at environmental issues um, that's something that I would say the two parties pretty much agree on most of the time. Mm. Maybe they might have differences in terms of how they want to approach the issue, but they agree that it's an issue. They agree that it's backed by science. Um, and they agree that we need to address it. Um, so it's really just a couple of issues like the gender issue, housing prices, those issues that are differentiating between these two parties. And so I wouldn't say, you know, young people are turning conservative just because more of them support the quote unquote conservative party mm. in this particular election. And in fact, you know, in the most recent presidential election, a lot of that support went down as well compared to the previous um, mayoral election that we had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's much less uh, of a clear cut, you know, they've become conservative or they've become progressive it's 
they agree with that particular party on this issue that's been highlighted by the media. Mm. So they voted for that particular party this time, but you have absolutely no idea who they're going to vote for next time. And it's all dependent on those issues. It's dependent on what those parties do to try and attract those people in a way that um, by focusing on issues that young people actually care about. Mm. That's um, that you can see is a really positive sign, Sihun, if it's like the end of ideology in Korea, mm. that it's not always this side or that side, but it's dependent on the issues and the solutions presented. And, you know, that that might be a good thing. And I completely agree with you in terms of that the two, the main ruling party and opposition party, they're about to change um, in a yes. week or so. But th th I mean, Sometimes I see a lot of reporters in the English press frame the Democratic Party and uh, as the progressives. And I, I, I don't get that language. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. This is no disrespect to them. They can be whatever they yes. want. But like, um, you know, to frame one of them as the progressive and one of them as the conservative, that doesn't make sense to me because they both seem to agree on a lot of things. I mean, yeah. you know, so, <laughs> it's weird to me. And that's why you need to understand the Korean politics. They disagree on North Korea heavily. Yes. That's one of the big issues that they seem to divide on. A lot of the others they will agree on. So what people do hold up as the progressive party like and by progressive we mean representing uh minorities standing up for gay rights trying yes. to be liberal representing women you know from western europe this is what we would call the left right yes in the recent election the justice party held by shim sang jung they got about memory now eight hundred thousand votes it's like two percent and that dropped from two yeah. million five years ago yes and if you looked at that, you could say, wow, the country's becoming less progressive. But I don't think that's the case. So yeah. why does the one progressive party fare so badly? Yeah, I think um, I think it's in this in this particular presidential election, the um, situation and the circumstances surrounding the elections were obviously very different from yeah. five years ago when we had the 2017 elections. Um, you know, back then, it was right after um, the previous president had been impeached, mm -hmm. um, Park Geun-hye. Uh, and, you know, obviously, she was from the conservative party or the quote-unquote conservative party. Um, back then, we also had five, like, major candidates, which, you know, doesn't happen. <laughs> it just mm -hmm. doesn't happen. You know, like, you look at not just Korea, but like other countries as well it's very rare to see a presidential election where there are five major candidates in the running. It's a good um, thing, isn't it? It, it seemed to me when I saw thing. that, there was choice, right? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think um, I think that's much better than having, you know, just a straight up two party system, which is kind of what most countries have. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I agree with you. That's a good thing, but it's also a very rare thing. Um, and I think this in this election, we kind of started to go back to what we normally have, which is that two-party system of mm -hmm. one major um, sort of relatively more left-wing party and another that's a, relatively a little bit more right-wing. Mm. Um, so, and I think, um, especially in this election, one of the things that came up was, uh, I think even just 
a week before the actual day of the election, we had um, Antrisu as another um, third party candidate running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he formed a coalition or like he joined, he merged with um, the conservative candidate uh, who ended up winning. Uh, and so a lot of the people who supported um, sort of the left wing side of politics or maybe who were, I, I, I guess uh, it's, it would be better to phrase it as people who are opposed to president-elect Yoon Seo-gyeol mm. uh, as being elected. Um, a lot of them consolidated towards the candidate that had the higher chance of winning, which was the obviously the candidate from the larger and more established political party. Um, and I think it's... Um, so I think that's definitely probably the main reason why the progressive party, like the Justice Party, ended up um, losing a lot of votes compared to the previous election was that their candidate just didn't, um, wasn't strong enough to beat uh, the opposition, the opposition, the conservative candidate. Mm. Um, so a lot of people consolidate their votes and it ended up just being like a one-on-one race, essentially. Um so I think it's not really showing that the country is becoming any more or less progressive or conservative. Uh, it's just kind of going back to normal. In fact, if anything, I think it's showing that we're, uh, you know, very split. Like I said earlier, uh, the election outcome was really close. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just um, a question of how can we... Um, sort of modernize our politics a little bit so that we can incorporate more ideas um, and more perspectives and have that diverse um, range in terms of our political spectrum Mm. um, so that we can um, simulate something a little bit closer to what we had in the 2017 elections, which, uh, as you mentioned, it's a little bit more ideal, especially for the democracies to have that diverse um, those diverse perspectives being represented in government. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's kind of the way to go. It's just a question of how do we get there uh, at this point? There are definitely legal changes taking place. For example, the last presidential election, it was 18, like high school people could vote yes. for the first time. Right. And they've also lowered the age at which people can join political parties and yes. run. So there are these legal changes taking place. What I found interesting about the Progressive Party here was that in running Madam Shin, they had the oldest candidate. And I was yeah. I was kind of like, you're the Progressive Party. <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to lose, at least put some youth in there and, and give them experience. <laughs> right. Pass over the torch. <clears throat> When we look around the world, we do see some countries. It might be New Zealand with Jacinda Ardern or, or Finland and Estonia, I believe, have also got you know young politicians taking power yes. at the age of um, 30 or Chile has just done it as well, I believe, a 30 year old. Is there room <clears throat> for youth in Korean politics? I mean, genuine room for youth or is it going to be because in Korea, we generally associate the society with this kind of the old people rule and there's this kind yeah. of getting there's this hierarchy of confucianism <laughs> and all that kind of stuff yes. is there is there genuine room for youth 
in Korean politics or will it just be used as like another tool to say, look, we've got a young person in our team, you should vote for us. But really, they're just a token to to attract yeah. people. Would, is there room for people like you, Sihoon? Um, I think I, I think we're definitely there's definitely more room than we used to have before. Um, but at the same time, I think um, something that um, personally I found a little bit concerning is uh, what you just uh, described, which is political parties trying to basically have these um, young people, like one or two young people in their political party and saying, hey, we represent young people now or we represent, uh, you know, Generation MZ mm. uh, again, which is like a really large age group. Um and oftentimes, you know, I think a recent example was with regards to the Democratic Party here in Korea. Uh, a couple of months ago, they appointed um, a young female uh, person uh, as to a secretary position in the Blue House uh, as like one of the highest ranking government officials. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, I think I remember, were very critical of that um, sort of move. Uh, they, you know, recognized it as sort of um, the Democratic Party's response to the Conservative Party electing the youngest party leader in Korean history. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, it's those kind of differences where is it actual progress or is it just um, pretending to make progress? Um, and I, I think especially in Korea, like you said, it's really there is that sort of age level hierarchy uh, in our society. Uh, I do think that's starting to fade a little bit, um, but it's still very much there. Uh, another very important thing that a lot of people um, you know, believe, and I think it's a very popular idea here in Korea is meritocracy. Uh, like, yeah. you know, you get what you deserve. You have to yeah. have experience, you have to have qualifications. Um, so I think that's another big thing that's, um, in some way blocking progress or at least blocking opportunity for younger people to enter politics and to be in those positions of leadership. Because mm. obviously if you're a younger person, uh, just in terms of net experience, you're, you've had less years to try out different things and to uh, be in positions of leadership. Um, and I think the problem there is um, that idea of having enough experience and having enough qualifications is just as popular with young people as it is with older people. So in some ways, it's also young people who are blocking opportunity for other young people um, <laughs> to be in positions of leadership, uh, which is just, it's sort of the way that, you know, Korean culture is shaped. And obviously, I'm not saying it's something that's wrong or something that's bad. I, I, I want my, you know, uh, politicians to be experienced and to know what they're doing mm. um but yeah so i think you know we're trying to experiment with these different things and i think um the case of the people power party party leader ijun Seok um being elected i think that was one of the more uh successful instances of young people in positions of leadership where people can agree you know they had the qualifications and they had the legitimacy um to be in that position of leadership um, people recognize that. Um, and so I think it's really trying to make more opportunities for um, stuff like that to happen, where we are uh, able to recognize the uh, 
the advantages of having young people in positions of government mm. uh, and in leadership positions uh, so that we can diversify um, that sort of uh, diversify Korean politics a little bit. And I think um, this is just my personal opinion, but I think one of the thing, one of the ways that we can uh, possibly start doing that is uh, with the new president um, uh, when he's uh, forming his cabinet uh I was personally a little bit disappointed. Um, I think the average age was somewhere around like the late 50s yep, <laughs> or like yeah. the high 50s and like early or early 60s, pretty old. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that maybe can be improved is uh, we can start out with those uh, positions, uh, especially those positions that are designed to sort of address young people um, or that I guess would uh, a lot of people might consider to be the expertise of younger people, mm. like in fields, uh, like in fields like IT and technological development, or, um, you know, there are those specific government positions that are dedicated to connecting with younger people. You know, those people, I think, should be young people in those positions. Yeah. Um, so I think starting there um, would be uh, a good first step absolutely culture ministries as well the people dealing with yes. Hallyu and soft power like don't put 60 year old ajoshis in yeah. that <laughs> they just don't they'll never get it um you mentioned this idea that hierarchy is is lowering in, in the importance of it in south korea and and while i agree with you i just just for some listeners perhaps that are not quite aware see if this conversation was taking place in korean it would be very different wouldn't it yeah, like it how would <laughs> it would be so you know the the amount of deference that if you go into korea and if if someone's a professor someone's a student someone it, it changes the dynamics completely and i think yes. for the, my aim uh going forward is i i'll do season two of korea deconstructed hopefully it might be a long time in the future in korean um mm. but i i, I think there, there is a real difference and i think for people just listening to this only ever in english whenever the conversation shifts to Korean, those power dynamics become immediately obvious in a lot yes. of conversations, right? We spoke about age and you spoke about meritocracy and that's a really important thing. And, you know, yeah. people have been very upset what they see as the, the abuse of power, corruption, putting people, their, their children into positions yes. of influence and faking diplomas and all of this. We'll probably come to that, but we mentioned that 18 year olds were allowed to vote in this election, yes. high school students. I talked about this a lot in, in various media spots and the listeners and people that phoned in, they were kind of divided on it. Mm. Having spoken to you today, you're 17, you can't even vote yet. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> give these people the vote. <laughs> they know more about it than me. Um, so, But what's your take on this about is it right? Should it be that young? Should it be younger? Do you agree with this move? What's your take on lowering the age to 18 now? Yeah, I think, um, uh, I mean, I'm also divided on that um, issue. And I think it's, I think the reason why people are so divided is just that there are such clear advantages and disadvantages to lowering the voting age. Um, the advantage is obviously you are representing more people through your elections. It's yeah. a better and more accurate reflection of what 
um, the population wants. And, you know, it's a more ideal version of democracy. At the same time, young people, especially like high school students um, in Korea, they're busy enough studying for exams and studying for school. So you now don't want more to... homework. No more <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to make out time to study politics, watch news, like read articles and then go vote. It's a whole process. So the question is also, you know, it's not like if you lower the voting age, people are automatically going to all go and vote. Um, there's also the question of how much impact does that actually have in terms of are these people actually going out? and voting if mm. we lower the voting age or are they not voting so it doesn't actually end up making any difference um so i think it's really that sort of and i think this sort of ties um back to what i was talking about earlier in terms of young people starting to care a little bit more about politics i think that's good and i think uh, as long as that trend continues lowering the voting age is definitely much more of an advantage than it is a disadvantage because people are going to be informed um even young people, even high school students, they're at least going to, um, you know, go into the voting booth, having um, a pretty solid sense of what they're voting for and um, the implications of their um, vote and mm. why it matters. Um, at the same time, if that trend doesn't continue, uh, you know, what I was talking about earlier in terms of people probably aren't going to end up voting in the first place. And those people who do vote, there is a high chance that, you know, they might be misinformed about issues. Uh, they might not really know what's going on. Uh, something that I've, a concern that I've heard um, coming from a lot of people about that was also, they might be influenced by like their parents or by their teachers who basically like tell them, go and vote for this person, which in that case is the, like, is that really um, representative of um, that student's personal values and beliefs? Or is mm. it just like copying and pasting their parents or their teachers' votes and duplicating that, which sort of undermines the whole purpose of having lowering the um, voting age? So I think, I guess it would kind of connect um, with, again, what the government can do about it. Uh, I think on the, a very easy and sort of straightforward way of uh, helping um, make elections and lowering the voting age more effective would be uh, if we can incorporate more of those, uh, more of that political discourse uh, and sort of debate and the, exploring those ideas, that critical thinking into mm. our education system, um, then, you know, obviously people are going to, uh, students are going to know what they can expect, um, which I think at, the, at this point right now in the Korean educational system, uh, that's something that can be improved. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that would be the first step. Once we can achieve that, I think lowering the voting age is definitely um, that would definitely be a good thing. Mm. You, you, but you're you're totally right to talk about the advantages and disadvantages. Nothing's perfect. There's always yes. going to be like a trade off of what we do in these kind of things. And and when you look at the results of the last election, you realize also that maybe about 65% of the people over 60 voted conservative. And yeah. so while we talk about sort of low voting age rates, I often wonder, like, do we need high barriers as well? Mm. Not to count people out, but it's like if we're yes. lowering it at the bottom end, is there ever a top end? Or is like somebody's 114? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, there's, it's, it's all on once you're old. Yeah. Um, 
you mentioned misinformation and education so let's just let's explore those a little bit perhaps now you're at a pretty special school yes. um shout out to to solomon for for hooking this up yes. um chadwick uh, international school so I, I guess your experiences aren't going to be reflective of those over the whole country, but Korean education is a thing, man. Like um, yeah. <laughs> this, this, this it, it's brutal. Um, uh, and so my, my niece is, I want to say she's 13, 14. And uh, we're planning to go back to the UK in September for my, my brother's wedding. And it, she's 13 14 they said she can't go because there's a midterm at 13 oh. 14 and, and if she misses it and this goes towards sunung and it, it's it's like yeah. from such an early and i was like oh come on everyone's like no david this is serious but from such an early age right this pressure is put on it's a yes. very intense thing um so can you give us some insight so i know it might be limited in your own experiences or it might be not you might have friends in it but What's Korean education like? Because in some ways, Sihoon, it's good. Korean students are really clever. My son is seven. He explained photosynthesis to me. It's ridiculous. Like seven years old and the math compared to the math in the UK is like, it's huge, right? The differences. So in some senses, it's really good. It's really effective. In the other sense, it's, it's suffocating. It's rote learning, memorization, no critical thinking. But I didn't go through it. What's your take on Korean education? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, what you say is pretty much absolutely correct uh, in terms of Korean education. You know, um, I think it's kind of going back to something um, that we talked about earlier in terms of the limitations of Korea as a country in terms of what we have uh like do we have natural resources not really <laughs> um we're also you know i mean we're like we have ports but in terms of land we're pretty much blocked by yeah. um north korea <laughs> um and so and we're also surrounded by uh what you know pretty powerful neighbors uh china russia japan um, even North Korea has a pretty strong um, inter, uh, international presence. So I think that's something that's really uh, in the back of the mind of, minds of every Korean person is, you know, in order for me to succeed and in order for our country to succeed, um, the only thing we can really do is uh, increase the sort of quality uh, I don't want to phrase it like this because it sounds like we're objectifying people, yeah. but increase the quality of human capital uh, here in Korea. Uh, and, you know, the best way to do that is through education. And the most effective way to do that um, is really, you know, what we call which is basically, you know, just inserting knowledge into people, um, you know, and obviously that um, goes against um a lot of, uh, I guess, the values that people have normally uh, in terms of social life. Obviously, we value a creative thinking. We value critical thinking. And I think that's one of the uh, main differences uh, in, and one of the main advantages um, for my school as well, Chattery International School, um, because we have the IB curriculum, 
which emphasizes a lot of those elements of creativity and critical thinking, uh, which uh, is really different from the Korean public educational system. So I do have um, a lot of friends uh, in who go to Korean public schools or who went to public schools. Uh, and so if like if you speak with um, some of them about, you know, what's the main difference and sort of compare it with um, the education that we get here at Chattery International School or at other international schools in Korea, I'm sure. Uh, it's really the main difference between um, the emphasis that those particular curriculums place on a certain concept or idea. Uh, I think, um, to be honest, I don't think the level of education or the quality of the education changes all that much um, or like the difficulty level. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what we learn and to a certain extent, I think that's also part of Korean culture in the sense that, you know, you, you can attend the international school, but chances are, especially if you're a Korean person, you're probably also attending academies and hagwons outside of school. And, you know, even if you don't really learn those things at school and you're not tested, um, you still have that knowledge because you go to academies. So I think it's really, um, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I think it's hard because, you know, everyone recognizes the disadvantages of mm. that particular educational system in that, you know, Korea, you know, is infamous for having very high suicide rates, especially amongst teenagers. I think mm. one of the highest in the world. Um, and a large part of that is because of the extremely um, demanding educational system that we have. Um, and at the same time, if we let go of that uh, and, you know, if we sort of abandon that educational system that we have, a concern for a lot of people and, you know, disconnects also with not just the educational culture, but also the workplace culture, working hard, working long hours, you know, you have, there's this idea that the more work you put in, the better outcome that you're going to have. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, whereas I would say for with the IB curriculum, for instance, it's not so much about the number of hours you put in uh, as much as it is about what you can do in the number of hours that you have put in, uh, which might not seem like a very big difference, but especially when it comes to education, it is a very big difference. Um, and so I think it's something that we really need to try and transition out of slowly, um, especially now that Korea, like I said, is a pretty developed country. I don't think there's as much uh, of a necessity for us to uh, have that fast paced get work done and put immense amount of work uh, for long hours. I don't think that's as necessary as it used to be before, maybe when our country wasn't as economically developed. Um, when quantity, I would say, is, was more important than quality, now that we're starting to transition out of that phase, we need to focus on quality. Um, but to do that, we do need that transition phase. We need time um, to transition out. And we also need an alternative mm. because I think um, you can't just say, okay, uh, like starting tomorrow, we're going to implement uh, this foreign educational curriculum. Mm. That doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it's a Korean education curriculum. You know, even if we are basing it off of a foreign um, educational curriculum or educational system, 
we need to change it and adjust it to fit Korea. So you need like Korean history, for example, Korean language courses. Uh, you're going to have to make those adjustments and that takes time. There's probably going to be a lot of debate uh, in that regard as well amongst people and polit politicians and um, professionals and professors. So I think um, the sooner we get started, the better. Mm. And it, it's probably why, Sihun, that it's important that, you know, the when you talked about uh, President-elect Yoon Seok-yeol's transition team, that it was all old, old people, that you have young people in these ministries that know the reality and know what's going on. So it's not just repeating the same old things. But yeah. They bring these new insights and allow those changes to take place at a speed that's reasonable. Because you're right, you can't just change things overnight and you can't just copy paste things from other countries. You, yes. don't, want, you don't want to do that. You yeah. want new Korea rather than old other places and uh, yeah. it, it's so important you keep mentioning uh, i guess this kind of uh lack of resources there are these ideas in the academic literature about this thing called the resource curse which is countries that do have natural resources don't democratize or don't develop yeah. because the resources either get like America, you know, like countries will come in and invade and steal the oil. I, I, I'm British. I can't really say that. But you get what I mean. Or the elites yeah. will exploit it, you know, the internal elites. And so that lack of resources is perhaps, you know, one of South Korea's benefits. It benefited mm. from not having. So it had people as the natural resource. Yes. And the economic development, like during the, the, the 60s and 70s, they call it the miracle on the hand. A lot yeah. of it was just the number of inputs. They just got so many people working. A lot of it was women that previously didn't yes. work. So they increased the inputs, that the outputs increased. But yes. now the demographics is lowest. You said it's one of the highest suicide rates in the world. It's absolutely correct. It's the yes. number one cause of death for young people which is tragic. And then yes. also one of the lowest birth rates in the world. And so you can't keep increasing the inputs to get more money in South Korea. So it's how yeah. you work. It's how you work now, isn't it? It's yes. it, that old idea of do more, do more is not going to cut it. I think most people, you you see it, I see it, is are the people that make the sunung tests and everything like that <laughs> going to see it is the question. Just one last thing maybe on education. How many hagwons do you go to? Do you go to any? Do you do you have to go through that or? I mean, I, I do go to the academies. Uh, I I think, um, I mean, again, I think it's sort of uh, a pro and con situation with hagwons as well. Mm. You know, um, I think it also depends on which hagwon you go to. Yeah. Uh, I I think like especially for um, students who go to hagwons, they're really going to relate to. Um, the idea that you know different ones have very different styles of teaching, yeah. uh, I think that's uh, something that you know is sometimes misunderstood by some people. Is uh, academies um, in Korea are essentially, to a certain extent, replicas of school, like miniature schools, um, and so you know just as uh, different schools have you know different teachers who have different styles of teaching academies have different teachers who have different styles of teaching they teach different subjects areas um and so i think uh you know for example in my case um i've gone to a couple of different hagwons you know there were hagwons that you know i 
personally uh, benefited from uh, mm. uh, going to, uh, especially in terms of academics. Um, there were other ones that you know weren't as helpful. Uh, so I think it's really just trying to balance it out because um, something that, like for example, I know uh, a lot of um, people who are strong advocates of academies and of hagwons. Something they really like to say, and that I, something I agree to a certain extent is um, the benefit and the reason you go to academies isn't necessarily to learn more. It's to learn what you're going to be learning uh, at school, but in less time and putting in less effort. So more effectively uh, learning what you're going to be learning. Um, and, you know, that is one of the advantages is if you go to an academy, uh, I mean, ultimately you're learning what you're going to be learning at school. Then you can um, sleep in school. Exactly. <laughs> uh, not that I do it. <laughs> uh, I, I did say that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, uh, don't sleep at school first, but, uh, I, I think it definitely helps, um, for you to understand what you're learning at school more effectively as well. Mm. Um, so that it's, you're not being hit with it all of a sudden for the first time. Uh, and I think that's sometimes, um, one of the downsides of, um, certain aspects of different edu educational curriculums is sometimes they'll kind of throw things at students and expect them to know it or expect them to understand it right mm -hmm. away. And that's not always the case. Um, and academies to a certain extent help you to prepare for that. So I think if you know how to use it, it mm -hmm. can be a real benefit to your academic success. But again, like I said, it has very clear disadvantages of, you know, it's more work. You have homework for academies. <laughs> so it's, you know, Mm. triple the amount of homework you would normally get from like just if you were only going to school so it's a lot more work and a lot more time i i completely get you sihun that a private institution and further education and these things are great and they're very useful especially if you get good teachers for me it's always been the amount like mm. and in the schedule so that's why i kind of asked you how many hagwons because one of the conversations i have with my wife about our two kids who are seven and six is what is appropriate amount of hagwons mm. per day after school and how many yes. days per week and my answer my answer and her answer as a korean mother are very very different <laughs> right as you can probably imagine the korean mother's yeah. like right once they finish school then this hagwon and then this one and then this one yeah. <laughs> and then come home and then gumon and then homework and yeah. it's, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> that's the that's the reality that i was just trying to get the education is great i think it's just the the length and the time you mentioned yes. that that every hagwon is different so there's the term sabasa right mm -hmm. and person by person and yes. in the military people were telling me now they have the term uh bu bu bude by bude ah, yeah. every so hak ba hak every hagwon yeah. is different hak ba hak that works yeah. yeah um let me ask you about social media, Sihun, because when I when I grew up, when I was your age, we didn't have social media. There was none of that. I think Tamagotchis had just come and gone. <laughs> that, that was the closest we had. A few of us had like Nokia phones with worm. Uh. You could play a worm game. You could only save 10 messages on your phone. So you <laughs> like you kept nine that you really liked. 
and you just kept deleting the latest one. And if you got one from a girl, you kept that and then delete. So <laughs> you could only keep 10, right? Well, you got it from a boy. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> we didn't grow up with social media. And, and I think social media plays a big role on psychology, on image, on identity and on politics, which is why you brought it up in the first place. Yes. My nephew, Donghyun, I hope his mum and dad don't hear this, but he's he's uploading like four or five Insta stories per day with his soundtracks of Post Malone and homies and things like this. <laughs> how does how does social media play a role in Gen Z or, or your life or the people around you? Yeah, I think social media is, you know, um, I mean, there's obviously the basics. Uh, I would say that, you know, everyone already knows is, you know, it helps you connect with more people. It helps. It's a much easier and quicker method mm. of communication. Um, I don't know if it would, I don't know if I would call it the most effective method of communication. Um, there's definitely um, certain aspects of social media that sort of downplay or that exclude uh, what you would normally get from like face-to-face -face conversations or through proper quote-unquote proper um, like letters or emails um, it's a little bit harder to do that or replicate that to the same extent through social media mm. um, but they have different advantages they have other um, advantages that social media has that those other methods of communication don't uh, and I think it's sort of trying to find the balance between that Another thing is with regards to social media, um, I think it's, especially for a lot of Korean people, I think it's a way of uh, expressing yourself that you won't norm, something that uh, you really don't have the opportunity to do outside of social media for a lot of people. Mm. Uh, for example, if we're looking at students uh, at going to school, they have to wear uniforms, they're studying basically the entire day they finish school and like you were saying they go to hagwons then they go to another hagwon then they go to another hagwon um so really there's not a lot of opportunities for students to um kind of engage in activities or uh you know engage interact with things that they personally enjoy or that they personally find interesting mm. i don't want to say that that's the case for everyone uh, I'm sure there's a lot of students out there, a lot of Korean students who are following their passion. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are really interested in music. Um, I so I know some of them uh, try to make their own music. They have their own albums. I think that's great. Um, uh, but the reality is for most students, that's difficult to do, mm. uh, especially if they're not um, pursuing those interests as career paths. Um, because then suddenly they, especially as you get older, you're faced with the reality that you know, there's a limited amount of time. There's a certain amount of work that you need to put in, uh, which is probably going to end up taking most of that time that you have. Um, and, you know, do you want to spend the remaining time that you have following your passion or maybe like getting an extra hour of sleep? I think most students, you know, they end up choosing, um, sleep or, you know, just a little bit more rest. Uh, and so social media, you know, because it's quick, I think that's really the main advantage of social media is you can mm. basically, you know, create a story, Instagram story, for example, in like five seconds. Um, or you can uh, send a message through Snapchat to your friend, 
in just a few seconds. Um, that's really the main advantage is that you get to do all of those things without having to use up a lot of your time. Mm. And because time is so important, especially for Korean people and Korean students, not just Korean students, but also just Korean people in general, uh, it's something that people end up using a lot uh, as a quicker way of communication. For example, uh, at our school right now, Chatter International, uh, a lot, basically every single student uh, uses KakaoTalk, uh, which uh, you know is a very popular messaging platform here in Korea. Uh, and something that uh, a lot of um, foreign students and a lot of teachers, when they first come to Korea, when they first come to our school, um, something that they often wonder or they don't really understand is, you know, we have email or we have like these other, even mm. like just normal phones, they already have a messaging app built into the uh, phone. Why mm. don't you use that? Why do you use um, this other app that you have to go and download? Uh, and the answer is because it's... Um, Emoticons. In terms of, yeah, emoticons. <laughs> that's a very big factor. Yeah. Um, but also with regards to KakaoTalk, you know, they have a lot of different functions that you can connect uh, through KakaoTalk. Like mm. there's Kakao Taxi, Kakao Bus. Um, you there's Kakao Pay. Uh, you can send gifts to your friends through KakaoTalk. Mm. Uh, it's basically like this jack of all trades app that people can use. It saves a lot of time for people. Uh, where they don't have to go and find different apps for all of those different uh, activities. They don't have to wait and like stand for 10 minutes until a taxi happens to pass by. Uh, they can call a taxi and it just makes life a lot more convenient. Um, so I think that's an ultimate and especially for is even for those like foreign students and teachers uh, after like two months you can see them using Kakao Talk as well. Mm. Uh, and it's just people find it a lot more convenient. Um, and it saves, as I keep on repeating, it saves a lot of time. And it's just a much more efficient way of doing things uh, and a much more convenient way of doing things for a lot of people. My mum said to me once that she was um, at Heathrow Airport in London waiting to come to Korea while she was waiting to board the plane because there were lots of Korean people there. I think she was flying Korean Air the time uh while she was waiting she kept hearing <laughs> and she was really excited because she associated that sound with korea she was like yes yeah. this is the sound of korea <laughs> and you know I, I i don't actually consider cacao talk social media to me it's just something for sending messages like social media i i, I think is instagram or yes youtube to a certain extent or facebook or twitter or these kind of things where you're scrolling right and, and, and yes. you're doing this it's interesting you mentioned snapchat you're the second young person that's mentioned <laughs> snapchat is is um is snapchat becoming a thing like is that something used i i thought it was nobody used snapchat but is it a thing here um, I, I'm, I wouldn't say it's becoming a thing. <laughs> I, I think it's, um, I, de I definitely agree with you that especially compared to some of the other social media, I think Instagram is definitely yeah. the main thing. Right. Uh, like number one, there's no question about it. Facebook and Twitter. I, I honestly don't, mm. I know one friend who uses Twitter, nobody else <laughs> with Facebook and Twitter. Um, but I do know some um, people use Snapchat. I don't think it's um, a main thing that people use. Uh, I, I do think it is starting to die out a little bit. Okay. okay. Um, something I personally um, thought was really interesting was 
a lot of uh, young students at our school, um, uh, like in middle school, for example, uh, a lot of them use Discord, um, which is another, I guess, uh, again, wouldn't really count as a social media platform. It is a messaging, primarily messaging platform. Mm. Um, but it is something that a lot of people use um, oftentimes even over Kakao Talk. So I personally found that really interesting. Um, so maybe that's the next thing that people use. But uh, at least for now, I think it's definitely Instagram that's king. <laughs> Are you, you might get in trouble talking about, are you allowed to use Instagram? Do your parents let you on social media and things yeah. like that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, no. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Like every, <laughs> some Korean parents are different and it always works like that. Yes. Give us, give us some insight into discord very briefly, Sihoon, because Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message and it might just be mm. a similar rap, but you know, just just take us through like discord how it works or, or what's going on why it's different just a little bit of insight if you can into that yeah um i mean i i'm probably not the best person to talk about discord you're all um, we've got <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh i think um really it's personally i think the, the usage of discord amongst like the young student younger students at our school is pretty unique to our school, I think. Mm. So it's not really a phenomenon that you're going to notice um, across like Korea. Um, but I do think it does have some connection um, with um, differences. And again, we're kind of going back to like generations, uh, generational differences slightly, but mm. uh, differences in the environment that people in uh, my age group grew up in versus the um, environment that people in like the current seventh grade, for example, grew up in. Um, and I think one of the main differences there is, uh, I would say two main differences actually. Number one is gaming. Gaming was obviously a very big part of uh, our environment as well as we were growing up, but definitely it's become a much more important uh, factor. Uh, and it's becoming, it's just every year it becomes even bigger, especially here in Korea, new games are introduced. And, you know, people uh, go crazy about new games mm -hmm. uh, and it's becoming much more of a thing. And connected to that gaming um, sort of industry and gaming hype is also, I think, streaming uh, is something that, you know, like growing up, I don't think streaming was something that we really knew about or that we even cared about. Uh, you know, you watch YouTube videos that were pre-recorded, you weren't watching like, I, I, I'm honestly not even sure if Twitch and kind of those kind of streaming services even existed back then. Mm. Um, uh, so, but then obviously nowadays, people are, you know, that's probably um, one of the largest um, mediums of uh, media uh, that people consume. Yeah. Uh, and that obviously also includes young students. And so I think that's Discord uh, in this case was one of those apps that was that was sort of popularized um, through those two um, mediums because I the way that I understand it is Discord was used a lot by people who stream games. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I I think that's really kind of where it kind of started out um, as a way for people to communicate with other people who also play like the same games or. Um, who have that uh, similarity and then it eventually spread to become a much more sort of uh, multi-purpose messaging platform. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think that's kind of the origin. And the reason I said that, I think it's a little bit more unique to our school versus um, just Korean uh, public schools in general is uh, that I, I think Kakotag is still much more prevalent uh, for most Korean students. Um, again, that sort of ties in with what I was talking about uh, earlier that Korean people do have at least some bias for Korean companies and for Korean products. Kakotag is obviously a Korean product. It's uh, by a Korean company. Discord isn't. Mm. Um, so I think uh, to a certain extent, there is that level of bias. And a part of that bias is also from the fact that because they're Korean companies, they know what Korean people want. Um, foreign companies, they might um, try and branch out to Korea. Um, but unless they're making that conscious effort, it's sort of just going to be a global product that anyone can use equally. Um, and it's not going to be targeted specifically to Korea and provide services um, that are convenient for Korean people like Kakao Talk can. Mm. Um, so I think because our school is an international school, we are uh, exposed to more of that international uh, culture. And there's a little bit less bias in terms of um the way that we choose different products that we decide to consume. Um, but I mean, I do think that Discord is um, a pretty big platform. And although it may not be the platform that ends up being um, the main uh, messaging platform that people use, it could be, for example, the inspiration for the next platform that actually does become that. Mm, sure. And there's protectionism in that conversation yes. as well i think korean companies will kick out foreign inputs whether it's like airbnb or or what was it uber and and they'll yeah. say no you can't do that and then a month <laughs> later they'll make cacao taxi and you're like okay yeah. <laughs> that definitely is part of the conversation um cacao is everywhere just one shout out to my friend chan who does the artwork for this she's a young woman korean woman in her 20s and on cacao she uses the same paid emoticons as this american 50 year old friend i've got and it's really weird it's like there's there's generation across emoticons but like how can you two use the same things you shouldn't do that um you mentioned games so i i, I just want to ask about this um like i i mentioned playing snake on my phone and things like that yes. that was all we had now i guess it's elden ring and these big games and what's what what are the games are like just to give you some context, I've been at Seoul Women's University for about 15 years. And yes. about 15 years ago, none of the students talked about games. Now, at the start of semesters, when students do like tagi soge or self-introductions, so many of them are like, oh, I play Overwatch and I'm a cleric. And yeah. it's, <laughs> What's that? Sorry, I'm trying to catch up. But it, it seems to be coming more prevalent. And I noticed this even in uh, among young women. Um, so I guess I'm trying to ask you, Sihun, what games are being played and, and what is the gaming culture here? Yeah, I think um, I think the gaming culture in, here in Korea, it's really, um, I mean, I, I say here in Korea, um, but I don't really know, know the gaming culture in other countries. Um, so I don't know if it's that different or if, if there are any similarities, but um, definitely here in Korea, I think there is... Um, gaming trends um, and sort of, I guess, uh, like one hit wonders mm -hmm. in a sense of like gaming or games that are really popular for a couple of months. Then we kind of move on to the next uh, popular game 
and then to an, uh, another popular game. But there's also um, certain instances where we have games that, you know, were used to be really popular, kind of died out, and then they become popular again. Um, and so I, I think it's, um, it's, in some ways, it's quite arbitrary. Um, Can I just games... ask, Sihun, yeah. sorry, um, like when I mentioned, I don't know, games, but when you talk about games, are you talking about like games on the phones? Because I see a lot of students just like watching games. Are you talking mm -hmm. about like PlayStation stuff or uh, PC games? Or are you talking about like these kind of smartphone handheld games? Uh, I think, um, I don't know if um, sort of those controller, like PlayStation style games are as popular here in Korea. Right. I, I think it's really mostly PC and mobile games mm. um, that are being played, uh, especially PC. I mean, uh, you know, the PC phone culture is very, uh, it's a very big part of Korean culture. Uh, so I think... Uh, yeah, so I when I'm talking about games, it's mostly with regards to um, PC games, but I think especially mobile games, um, I think are played, I don't want to say played more, but they're played more frequently mm. um, because PC games, you those are sort of like the large games that you have to take out time to play and like you have to go to either like unless you own a pc you have to go to a pc bang you have to take out like a couple maybe like an hour or two mm. to play a game mobile games you can really just kind of take your phone out uh like on your way to school maybe you just play like a quick five minute game or something like that um so i think um the number of times that people play mobile games it's just a lot more frequent than pc games even um though uh i would say pc games tend to be more popular uh, amongst Koreans um, so for example um, I think one like if you talk about Korea and if you talk about gaming I think one of the first games that most people will talk about is Starcraft uh, is probably the game I would say uh, that started the gaming culture here in Korea yeah or at least one of the games that really kind of uh, launched uh, esports here in Korea and the gaming culture um, so and that's obviously a PC game but if you look at a lot of like young Korean students right now, for example, um, not a lot of them play StarCraft. Um, it's really more about um, like, for example, a popular game that a lot of my friends play is League of Legends. Um, I think that's a pretty popular game. Um, there's also certain international trends that I think uh, Korean gaming, uh, the Korean gaming culture is affected by recently a very I guess not even recently anymore, but a couple of uh, months ago, I think maybe like last year or two years ago, a really popular game, I think around the world was Among Us. And that was mm. really popular here in Korea as well with a lot of Korea, especially Korean students um, who played those games. Um, there's um, just uh, like a lot of the Clash Royale, Clash of Clans, those games were really popular in Korea as well. And they're actually um, kind of starting to pick up again, at least like at my school. Um, so I think it's really just a question of, um, people playing games. And I think what, just the general pattern, if I had to recognize one of, uh, if we look at all of the games that are really popular, they tend to be, uh, games that are very competitive, uh, and that sort of are multiplayer games, I think tend to be a lot more popular here in Korea games mm -hmm. that you can play with your friends. Uh, where you can check your ranking. I think that's uh, sort of part of that Korean culture as well, where 
you know, we have that very competitive mindset. Um, and games are a sort of way to, I guess, engage in that mindset without um, having very major consequences of like, you know, just because you're a relatively lower ranking in a particular game doesn't mean uh, you're going to um, have a bad ranking at school or something like that. I think it's just, um, uh, I think it's sort of almost a subconscious thing where Koreans, you know, they prefer games where you compete with uh, your friends uh, and it's a social activity more so than the actual um, competitive nature of it. Because in Korean schools, and maybe some people don't know this, but in Korean schools, most students know their ranking in yeah. the class, don't they? They know out yes. of 30 students or 356 students what rank they are. And that's a yeah. that's a weird thing. And so the, the gaming culture just reflects that. And I can absolutely see, although you said it wasn't the case, Sihoon, that as somebody's ranking in the school academic calendar goes down, their ranking on the computer game <laughs> goes up. They're like, well, I might suck at school, but I'm going to beat you on the computer game. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like a... It's, equalizing the playing field isn't it it's like i get my success <laughs> get my success that way um just we'll we'll turn back to politics in a minute but thank you for that that idea that korean gaming is is, is mobile gaming um by the way if my camera goes blurry it's totally cool i think it's to get the sound quality which is you yes. still sound great so don't worry about that dude thank you um just before we go back to politics and and, and bring this round I need to ask you about music. If we've talked about social media, we've talked about gaming. Yes. Like, if I if I believe the press, uh, you and your high school friends are all like going around dancing to uh, Butter and Next Next Level, and you know that kind of thing. And Stray Kids, is that the case? Uh short answer is no. <laughs> My, my um, nephew's not even, like I said, he's post Malone and homies. And, <laughs> so what is the case then? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, that is definitely how I think young, especially young Korean people are portrayed in not just Korean media, but in international media. Is It's all about K-pop. It's all about, uh, even within K-pop, like those top like two or three groups, BTS, Blackpink, etc. Mm. Uh, and I think... You know, those obviously they are very popular in Korea. Uh, and I think that's reflected. And just like statistically speaking, they are really popular. Yeah. Um, I would say there's probably not um, a single Korean student, at least, um, who hasn't heard a BTS song or a Blackpink song at some point in their life. Um, so it is popular, it is um, commonplace. Uh, but if we're talking about what students listen to and enjoy listening to k-pop is a part of um the music that people listen to but it's also you know uh, what you were talking about earlier post malone those sort of western um hip-hop music or rap music we listen to pop music i remember uh, a couple of years ago back when i was in elementary school maroon 5 was really popular uh for a lot of students yeah and i think that was just globally speaking they were really popular cold play was really popular uh you know just like the top <laughs> bands and i think that's still the case um for music and even within k-pop i think it's just um uh, bts uh, and those kind of top names get thrown thrown around a lot um especially um by foreign media and by like 
uh, people outside of Korea. Um, but if you actually come to Korea, I think um, you'll see that even within K-pop, there's a lot of diversity and there's a lot of diversity within Korean music in general. Uh, like there's Korean ballad music, which is also really popular amongst a lot of Korean people and a lot of Korean students. Mm. Um, for, uh, recently, uh, trot music was really popular here in Korea as well. Um, I don't know where that came from, but it, it was really popular. Ja Japan it came from. Sorry, I should have ah. said Right, it's Enka. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. you continue. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, like Korean rap music as well. Show Me the Money is a really popular program here in Korea. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of those things don't get talked about in the media and in, like, especially foreign media. Um, so I think it's really um, Korean, the types of music that Korean people listen to is about as diverse as, you know, people from any other country. I think it's, you know, just because, for example, you're, uh, living in America doesn't mean you only listen to rap music or you only listen to like patriotic anthems. Uh, I think it's, you know, you listen to a diverse range of music, you know, American people listen to K-pop. So I, I think it makes sense that Korean people listen to pop music from other countries as well mm. and music from other countries. So um, I think uh, K-pop definitely a very big part of Korean culture and of Korean music culture. Um, but to say that, you know, that's the only thing Korean students listen to, or even the most popular thing Korean students listen to, um, I think it's all about, um, again, that sort of trend. You know, sometimes Korean pop, yeah, like there are times when a BTS song is the most popular music that Korean students listen to. Mm. But then, you know, maybe a few weeks later, it might be uh, a new song by some other um, K-pop group or by a Korean ballad singer or by a you know, rap musician in France, you know, you never know. Mm -hmm. No, you do never know. And it, it, sometimes we, we don't get that media representation. And that's that's why I ask you or try to listen to what people are talking about. That was a pretty good look at, I think, some of Gen Z lifestyles. Shall we turn back to politics? Because there's a few things that we didn't yes. catch. So the, the, the conversation will turn. But as we come towards this latter stage, some of these questions here, Sihuna, are at, they're right on the money um <laughs> we're gonna talk about your song yes <laughs> yeah so um this is the minister ministry of gender and equality uh in english but in korean your song which is like the woman family ministry the names are yes. different which i think is important to sort of recognize um a huge talking point about the last election was whether this should be closed or not closed. Yes. I know a lot of people are opposed to it. I also know some people that are in favor of it closing down, even women yes. who believe that it should be. So there's no unanimous uh, perspective on this, but it was a huge talking point. I think it still is. Um, yeah. Do the names matter? Should it be closed down? Why was this a big sort of torch around which a lot of conversation was centered how do we understand this this conversation around the yosong gajokbu sihun yeah so i think um just starting off with the name first of all uh, like you said the name in korean and the name in english is you know uh it's a small difference at the same time it's a very big difference mm. um and I think that's also something that gets brought up sometimes in Korea as well is, you know, maybe it is, um, 
important to kind of change the name of the ministry uh, so that it better reflects the uh, uh, the mission that the ministry has and that the message that the ministry is sending out to people when they see the name is, you know, if you read Yeosung um, Gajukbu, which as you said, it basically it directly translates to the ministry of family and of women. Mm. Um, you know, as for example, um, as a Korean male, uh, if you're looking at that uh, name, a lot of people might say, you know, does that mean we're excluded from that, uh, you know, from gender equality? You know, obviously, I would say that just objectively speaking, most cases of gender discrimination do tend to target women much more than men. Um, yeah. But that isn't to say that men aren't victims of gender discrimination sometimes as well, or sexual harassment or those kind of issues related to gender. Um and so I think that's a very common criticism that was made uh, in terms of the name of the ministry, uh, that it should, you know, I mean, we're calling it the Ministry of Gender Equality in English. Why don't we call that? Why don't we do the same in Korean? Um, and I think to understand the sort of um, debate surrounding the ministry, uh, it's really important to kind of understand the context because, um, you know, for example, as someone who, it has absolutely no background information about Korea or about the ministry. And you just hear, you know, like Korean men trying to abolish you know, like the ministry of gender equality. That sounds really bad. That sounds like, yeah. are you insane? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, um, so that's why you do need to understand that it's not so black and white. Um, and I think, the, the problem uh, with the Ministry of Gender Equality, I think there were two main criticisms um, towards the ministry. Number one is that um, they don't actually promote gender equality. I think that's a very common criticism that uh, comes, especially from uh, the conservative side, is that the Ministry of Gender Equality, they don't actually promote gender equality. They actually divide people much more than they unite um, the two genders. The second criticism, and this um, and I think it's really interesting because um, this criticism actually comes much more from uh, the relatively more progressive side of Korean politics is the gender ministry of gender equality actually doesn't do enough um, to promote gender equality. And that's also a common criticism. And so to kind of understand, and I think that's really where um, the difference between the two genders also start to come in because of uh, first criticism is generally speaking much more often made by males, mm -hmm. uh, Korean men, and the second criticism is much uh, more often made by Korean females. Um, and from my personal point of view, I think it's sort of a mixture of both. Um, where like the Ministry of Gender Equality um, is essentially, and I think this is something that they try to um, promote as well is it's not just about gender equality. It's also about family. And that's something that they really try and emphasize, especially whenever some of these criticism uh, or these critiques come up is, you know, yeah, we are the ministry of gender equality, but we also have this other really large uh, factor family, mm -hmm. which is really another very important social issue here in Korea. As you brought up uh, a few minutes ago, the birth rate here in Korea is, getting lower every year. So that's also one of the main things that the Ministry of 
gender equality is uh, technically that's under their sort of um, jurisdiction to try and address. So we have this thing that we need to address as well. You know, we can't um, really be um, only focused on gender equality. Um, so I think it's really um, important that we kind of look at some of the things that the Ministry of Gender Equality has done. Um, because obviously though, like just beyond claims, that's objectively speaking, that's what they've done. That's what they did. That's their accomplishments. Uh, so based on that, we can kind of look at, you know, um, some of those arguments and whether they're valid. Um, so I think the really main um, issue that a lot of Korean men had with um, the Ministry of Gender Equality and one of the reasons why um, this entire argument that the Ministry of Gender Equality should be abolished or shut down came up in the first place was because um, a lot of uh, people, a lot of Korean men especially, thought that the Ministry of Gender Equality was giving unfair advantages um, to um, women in the workplace or uh, in other areas of life. And I think it's, um, I remember um, even before gender issues became a very major sort of talking point, um, even when I was like in village school or in elementary school, uh, something that a lot of people kind of argued about or debated about is the Korean military service, which I think that's um, like 50% of the gender issue debate is mm -hmm. Um, Korean men, you know, have to serve in the military, Korean women don't. Uh, and uh, so a lot of Korean men, you know, I think Korean men are quite split on that issue as well, in that obviously, I don't think anyone uh, disagrees that the military is a very important part of Korea and of South Korea, especially because we have North Korea. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, although the number of years that you have to serve in the military has been going down um, over the last several years, mm. um, it's still a significant portion of, you know, a person's life, especially because it is at that time when, you know, we like to say it's the prime of someone's life in their 20s, in their early 30s, mm. um, where, you know, that's when they've, they're either going to university or they've just graduated from university, they're trying to find work. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get taken to the military, um, you know, which like in some ways it sounds almost like a dystopian, you know, like novel. Um, so I think, uh, and because it only applies to Korean men, I think that's really where a lot of Korean men uh, feel that they're being treated unfairly. Uh, but one of the things that sort of, um, I guess, um, justified that to a certain extent was the fact that uh, number one, the conditions of like actually serving in the military and the number of years, uh, it's getting better somewhat. Yeah. So it's a little bit, um, I guess, more bearable. And number two, uh, there was um, something called the Kun Kasanjom, which basically, um, I guess, uh, the easiest way to think about it would be like a certain like a point system mm -hmm. uh, where. If you've served in the military, and this doesn't necessarily, um, you know, only apply to Korean men, because there are also Korean women who serve in the military, so right. it would also apply to them as well. Just anyone who served in the military, uh, they have um, these additional points uh, that 
when they are applying for certain um, uh, certain jobs that they basically get to um, use those points um, and they have a higher chance of being uh, accepted and actually getting that job. Um, and obviously because most of the people who kind of benefit from that point system, or at least in this particular case, um, were Korean men because Korean men all serve in the military. Mm. Uh, that was something that um, the Ministry of Gender Equality and also um, a lot of uh, women's organization um, uh, people and advocates and sort of um, what people, I guess, I'm a little bit hesitant to use the word feminism just because um, in Korea, um, there's a very negative connotation with that word. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I, I don't want to say that people who kind of support this are all, you know, um, evil. I think, you know, there's definitely an argument to be made that that's not fair. And, you know, uh, it is also fact that the courts basically said it was unconstitutional to have that point system, um, but essentially they abolished that point system. And that was also one of the things that a lot of Korean men, um, you know, were saying, you know, we have to spend uh, one to two years in the military uh, getting paid something, I think, close to the minimum wage, possibly even less. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, meanwhile, female counterparts are getting that head start. Um, and then when we have to return to the workplace, we don't get any benefits or we don't get any recognition for that service either. Um, so I think that's really where a lot of Korean men uh, felt that they were being discriminated against. Um, and, you know, you see a lot of, I guess, almost gaffes that the Ministry of Gender Equality kind of made throughout their, um, uh, throughout the last couple of years. Um, something that was uh, really controversial was um, they actually uh, released this sort of board game um, that they tried to incorporate into the educational curriculum, uh, which was basically something like Monopoly, but you have a card that basically designates you as either male or female. And if you're female, no matter where you land, you have to go back to um, like the first stop. And that's teaching like... <laughs> that's teaching students about the discrimination that women face in mm. real life. And so uh, I, I, very obviously that was very controversial and it received a lot of criticism. Uh, and, you know, that's also going back to the other side of the argument that the ministry isn't doing enough to promote gender equality because it, like in reality, um, implementing that board game in the educational curriculum what difference is that actually going to make in helping to address people who are actually suffering from gender discrimination or actual victims? Uh, and this also goes back to some of the more high profile cases that of like sexual assault uh, with regards to like the uh, former Seoul mayor, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there were allegations of that he sexually harassed um, his uh, coworkers and I think it was a secretary. Um, but then the Ministry of Gender Equality or the Minister of Gender Equality um, basically kind of hesitated to criticize um, uh, and to kind of investigate that case. Uh, and it was a lot of, there was a lot of, there was a lot of criticism for that um, action because essentially what people were seeing was, you know, the only reason you're hesitant to kind of take action 
is because he's on your he's the same political party um so you're basically taking sides yeah. which you know as the minister of gender equality that's not what you're supposed to be doing um and i think so that's really um where a lot of the criticism comes from and i mean there's um there's a lot of different uh examples and a lot of different cases that we could look at obviously um but ultimately i think that those sort of um ways that the ministry of gender equality has shown that it's not really up to the task of performing its mission i don't think anyone's calling for the abolishment of of the ministry because they disagree that we should have gender equality because they disagreed that we should address discrimination. Uh, if anything, actually, um, a lot of young Korean men, especially, agree that there's discrimination uh, and that there was discrimination for uh, a lot of the people in the older generation, a lot of women, um, that they face that discrimination, that, that we need to address that. Um, but it's just a question of how do we address that uh, in a way that both sufficient considered sufficient enough um by women and also considered not discriminatory towards men by uh korean men and um the ministry of gender equality unfortunately i think um uh has sort of disappointed both sides in their attempt to try and balance that out um which raises the question you know so does that mean we should abolish them or another popular opinion is can we try and reform them somehow so that we still keep the ministry, but they actually perform the uh, mission and the responsibilities that we expect them to do? Uh, and I think that's really where a lot of the debate comes in. Uh, and at that point, I think it's really um, a question of your personal belief. It's not so much a question of whether you agree with, like I said, it's not a question of whether you agree with um the fact that we need to address gender discrimination or that we need to address the gender issue. I think almost everyone agrees with that. Yeah. It's just, can we do it with the system that we have right now and just make a couple of adjustments? Or is it something that requires an entirely new sort of approach, an entirely new branch of government to try and address? Um, and I think that's something that, um, personally, I think it's something that we need to have uh, more discussions about as a country uh, before we make any sort of decision. Um, not only because we are so divided on that issue, but because, you know, um, even without the issue of the Ministry of Gender Equality, um, because we're transitioning into the new administration, there's likely going to be a lot of other changes to the government structure um, that's going to be taking place. Um, and the Ministry of Gender Equality, I think if we were to abolish it right now, um, that's going to cause you know additional chaos and confusion uh, yeah. in a situation that's already very confusing and very chaotic. So I think it's something we need to discuss and reach a consensus on first um, by evaluating you know, the advantages and disadvantages of either argument and then make a decision that's informed and that people can agree was the correct decision or at the very least take responsibility for um, when, if it doesn't turn out successful. I, I think you've rather brilliantly laid out some of the issues and problems related to this, whether it's in terms of the demographics, various gaffes made by the ministry, 
the situation regarding military service and the abolishment of that point system, the fact that Korean men spend sort of two years of their, almost two years of their life in this, you know, uh, when when they're taken out generally of university, they'll do it after a couple of years there. And, and it's a really complex and deep and politicized topic. And yet most of what we hear about it online is Korean men want to abolish gender equality. Yeah. I think that that framing of it is the problem. And you're absolutely, yes. from my personal perspective, you're absolutely right in that there needs to be discussion, there needs to be long form things. And I think that the social media detracts from that or it presents it in such a exaggerated way that it, it prevents people from actually engaging in the realities because the realities are complex and long yes, form and very yeah it, it, it is and it's tied into a lot of different issues and this is a government ministry and you can look at any government ministry and they will be making gaffes all over the place yeah. their <laughs> policies will be failing look at the look at the people in charge of housing prices yeah. <laughs> they're not doing a good job look at the ministry of unification they're getting their yeah. buildings blown up by north korea right it, it i guess the point that i'm trying to say is it's not unique to a government ministry to be failing in their policies yes. is actually generally par for the course because yeah they they mean well and i'm sure they're trying to do their best but they're bureaucrats and they're officials and one of the things that we've probably learned is that those people are often unable to control the world around them. If anything, yes. they're generally being reactive to events mm -hmm. and sometimes reacting to make the situation worse than actually controlling or being proactive. Uh, yes. So, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you that I think if it were to be abolished, like as soon as they come in and President-elect Yoon Suk-yeol seems to be keeping to a lot of his pledges thus far. Yes. One of the things, whether you like him or don't like him all the things that he said in the lead up he's actually going through with and that yeah. seems to be part of his character i think if it, it and this particular one if they just close it down that invites it, it's not the right way to solve that problem but yeah, yeah. um but i uh, yeah there is gender inequality here and there are problems but i think the young people they should be on the same page how to solve these problems yeah. like like you're talking about um can i ask you about tongwade yes i know I'm, I'm sort of jumping on this but this the, the gender equality i'm going to speak to uh uh i don't know if she's a schoolmate a classmate of yours k in the future mm. a, a, a young woman so i'm yeah. also going to try to get young women's views on this and you know put them together and and see how it plays out um it, i want to ask you about tongwade which for for any listeners is the the korean president's residence it's called the blue house in english and uh uh president moon in 2017 when he went in there he said that he was going to move out and he was going to become yeah. the kwangamun president and and do this he didn't eventually he stayed there and yes. There were various reasons for that. President-elect Yoon Suk-yeol has said he's not going to go into it. There's been yeah. talk that it's a shamanistic, it's it's made by shamans, it's it's made by his wife. He wants to be in the Ministry of Defense so he can implement some Orwellian totalitarian yeah. <laughs> government. And there's, there's lots of conversation about that. But it seems both political parties wanted yeah. to move out there. So, But what I want to ask you about, Sihun, is that 
it's kind of weird for me to imagine a political leader coming in and saying, I'm not going into number 10 Downing Street. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that place. Or or like the white, it, it, it's weird to me. And President-elect Yoon suk yeol he said he's going to open it up to the public. I saw that there's already been like a million people sign up to go on tours of the, yeah. the residents when it opens. How do you understand this as a, as a Korean? Like, is it losing some of your history? Is it nice to open up to the people? Does the Tonghua Day symbolize anything to you? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, uh, it is weird <laughs> mm. uh, to have, a, you know, any politician, but especially like the head of the government, uh, newly elected to say, you know, I'm not going, <laughs> I'm not going to be staying in the same place all of my predecessors stayed in. Mm. Um, that symbolizes um, my position. Um, and I think... There's definitely going to be, and I mean, the whole reason there's a debate is obviously because there are um, diverging opinions on uh, President-elect Yoon moving out. Personally, I think, um, again, there are, um, there is definitely going to be something that's lost in that process. Uh, I think the Blue House um, is obviously very symbolic of um Korea and Korea's government and Korean politics uh, and to say that you know I'm going to be moving over to um, what is essentially just like another building uh, in Korea uh, that does um, mean that we're losing some of that symbolic uh, meaning and I think it, it would be the same thing for example um, if we think about uh, if Biden one day said I'm moving out of the White House and moving into some other building in uh, Washington, D.C. Mm. or in New York, um, I think that would come as very um, shocking. And, you know, although the history of the Blue House isn't as uh, long as the White House or as some of the other um, kind of resident, presidential residences, mm. uh, it is still a presidential residence. It was the house, it was the um, residence of, several presidents, uh, like several Korean presidents. So I think there is still meaning um, mm. to the location. I think that's also one of the reasons why um, they're essentially saying that they're going to be returning it back to the people. Uh, so it's not just, you know, we're moving, so we're going to be replacing the building with a new building. It's we're preserving it as sort of um, a place that holds those memories of what it used to symbolize. Um, and I think it's sort of, um, I think it's going to depend on how President-elect Yoon defines his new, um, uh, his new, basically his new blue house, uh, which I think he's actually, um, uh, he's calling the people's house um, for now before they come up with an official name. I think that's what I read um, in the news, um, but it's going to have to have, um, I think, significant uh, symbolism um, mm. because, you know, it's not just uh, you as the president of any country, you can't just move into, you know, the average gray skyscraper and say, this is my new home now. Um, you know, it, because it's not just about um, what it represents, uh, Domestically, it's about uh, how that particular building or that particular 
place of residence reflects your country internationally um, to other countries and to other um, the leaders of other countries. Um, and so I think it's really important that, you know, whatever uh, way the president-elect decides to go with his new uh, Blue House, uh, it needs to be something just as, if not even more, uh, symbolic than the Blue House was to Korea and to Korean presidents mm. um, so that we don't lose that um, uh, the historical significance um, that the Blue House held that gives it a certain, you know, amount and level of um, uh, legitimacy. I think that's really important as well is, you know, you can be elected president, but there is um, like in different countries, you know, there are certain locations that were, you know, th their historical significance comes from the fact that they were the place that, for example, every time um, uh, the new king ascended to the throne, that was where they were crowned, for example. Mm. Uh, or every time a new president was elected, this is the place that they were sworn in. There is, you know, that precedent, that history, uh, and that continuity that I think is one of the things that Korea as a relatively young, uh, in terms of dem democracy, a relatively young nation uh, lacks is that tradition and continuity that we uh, need to have for our government. And that's also reflected, I think, in our political parties. Uh, like, for example, you know, a few minutes uh, earlier and earlier in this interview, mm. uh, we talked about how the Conservative Party changes their name like every couple of years. And their colors. Uh, I, yeah, Rem and their colors. Remember when they were pink? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just really confusing. <laughs> but I, I think that all, you know, it all comes into play in the fact that we don't really have an established tradition yet uh, for our democracy and for our government. Um, and we're still experimenting with different things. But at the same time, you know, at some point, we're going to have to settle on something that we can all agree on and that we can mm -hmm. kind of keep as you know, this is what you can expect from Korean democracy. This is, you know, the symbol of Korean democracy. Uh, and I think the sooner we can kind of arrive uh, on something that we can all agree on, um, the better it will be for not just the continuity of our democracy, but also, like I said, the way that other countries view Korea. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the White House, immediately you think of, uh, the American um, government, you think of the American president, you don't even need to see the White House, you just hear the White House and you think American mm. government. Mm. Um, I think the Blue House, um, you know, obviously was kind of getting to that point of being recognized as, okay, that's the place where Korean presidents live. And then now that we're transitioning out of it, um, we're going to be losing that recognition that we've been building. So it's going to be really important that we build up that um, sort of reputation and that uh, recognition internationally. Mm. President uh, Biden is coming to South Korea in about three weeks, as yes. far as I understand. So it's going to be really interesting, like where I uh, may go past the Kyungbia Joshi and take the elevator up to the fourth yeah. floor. <laughs> the president's up there in this kind of yeah. gray apartment. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it loses some of that grandiosity, you know, that, yes. that, that spectacle and that scene. But yeah, it'd be interesting what name it's given. It would, mm. it won't be historic or symbolic for at least 
a few decades, will it? Yeah. Because it needs time to build up. So it's just a really fascinating development to see a president give away the presidential residence that yes. has been that has been there. And um, to give a bit of British perspective, I guess, I think we have the best of both worlds because we have the spe spectacle of Buckingham Palace and all of yeah. this, right? all that pomp and ceremony. <laughs> Um, for greeting heads of state, right? We can do yes. all that. But then the prime minister is in like 10 Downing Street, which is this yeah. really small, cramped yeah. residential. It's right there on the street. And I, I, I think there is an advantage to that. I'm not all of a sudden saying that our prime minister is this great man of the people. Um, yeah. Not at all. But there is more of that. They're... they're they're not as far removed from people. Yes. They're not a, a symbol of authority or power, but they, they're in a normal place and they face questions and they have to walk along the street. And there is that element to it, which I quite like, I think. Yes. Um, regardless of who does it, you know, this doesn't mean suddenly I support this party or that, but yeah. it, one of the things that I've noticed about, you know, I would like the Korean politicians to speak to the people in the media a bit more. Yeah, like, I, like yeah. just what President uh, Prime Minister Johnson, every week he has to like get grilled in front of people on television <laughs> with people asking him all sorts, and you see him squirm and and <laughs> and re re refute and lie, and but it's right there. There's no getting away from it. That's democracy. Yes, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that's, and you know, um, that's exactly what President Moon promised he would do when he, he got elected, that's, yeah. that's what President-elect Yoon has promised to do as well. And actually the media has kind of picked up on that as well recently was, uh, I think a couple of days ago, um, I was actually reading a news article about that, of how President-elect Yoon, you know, he promised that he would be, uh, you know, the president who communicates with the people, who communicates with the media. He, he kind of did that at, when he was first elected. Nowadays, not so much. <laughs> um, uh, or at least not as frequently. Mm. So, you know, the media picks up on that. The people pick up on that. And I think it's really important, um, you know, with uh, a part of that is obviously the place of residence. But more importantly, I think is just the president's attitude um, towards communicating. Because you have um, president, like, for example, in America, uh, you know, you had presidents like Barack Obama or uh, Ronald Reagan who are considered, you know, very good communicators. Um, and they lived in the White House, uh, which is definitely not, um, you know, like 10 Downing Street. Um, they had to stop were... President Trump communicating. He was communicating too much. They yes, were like, exactly. shut up, get off Twitter. Sorry, That's go too much. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, yeah, so I think, you know, I think Korean presidents, not just Korean presidents, but Korean politicians in general have a lot to kind of learn from that. Um, in that regard of mm. actually communicating with people, communicating with the media. Uh, and I think it's really important because Korean um, presidents, especially, you know, during their term, they, um, they face a lot of criticism. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, another part of it is, and I think this is sort of um, uh, an unfortunate precedent that Korean presidents don't usually end up uh, very well off after their terms uh <laughs> that's a that's an understatement a, yeah <laughs> um yeah they uh it's the outcome isn't usually that great and i think a part of that is 
because um, there's such a, um, a distance between politics and between people mm. uh, that, you know, people are just not satisfied with what's going on in politics. And I mean, to be completely honest, most politicians probably have something that, you know, is something that they did was immoral or illegal or something that, you know, people can kind of pick up on and criticize. It's just really a question, I think, of will people actually pick up on that? Mm. And um, is it going to be a big deal? Uh, I think because there are politicians, for even like in Korean politics, who, you know, they get caught for doing something, um, but it's like a minor um, violation of the law or it's something that, you know, people can, to a certain extent, understand um, and sort of kind of let go. But with Korean presidents, especially, I think, you know, even the smallest, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be a violation of the law. I remember uh, during the Seoro, um incident, uh, one of the ministers had to resign because he was he there was a photograph of him eating uh instant ramen noodles mm, uh at the scene that. and which is like you know is that a crime is that really such a bad thing to do so, some people might ask but considering the context of the situation and the position that the person was in obviously enough people thought that that was um something that uh, wasn't right that was condemnable uh, and th that ultimately led to his resignation. And Korean presidents, uh, pres the president is the highest position in the government. So there's the highest expectations. So if you can't meet those expectations, Korean people are very brutal um, mm. about that. Uh, and I think by communicating more, you can somehow somewhat, you know, relieve that tension a little bit. You have a chance to justify and explain yourself you have a chance to build consensus, build agreement between the people before you proceed with certain initiatives or projects. And that way, even if something goes wrong, even if something doesn't turn out the way that you wanted it to, at least you know that, you know, the people supported you in that process. So you can take, you know, responsibility together. Um, but because that hasn't been happening, because presidents and political parties um, have essentially kind of just gone with whatever they wanted to do. Um, and you see that with like the current situation with um, the prosecution service as well right now, like because the um, the current ruling party uh, who won't be a ruling part who won't be the ruling party for very long mm. uh, are who have the that super majority in the national assembly are trying to pass laws, um, basically without the consent or without consensus amongst politicians and without agreement amongst the people. Um, and I think that's really um, the main issue with Korean politics is people don't communicate and people don't care to communicate. Mm. Yeah, uh, and um, Professor or Ambassador La Jong-il wrote a really interesting piece about Korean politics in which he said that you know, the two parties, they're not your enemy, they're your co-workers. And the more times that these two parties fight with each other, it's the actual people that suffer. Yeah. You're meant to be working together for the people, right? You have different ideas, yes. but I, I think they've missed that incredibly. This story with reforming the prosecution and fast tracking it through with a majority yeah. without any consensus is it's really dangerous. I mean, it, it but yeah. it's so obvious and blatant and just protecting mm -hmm. uh, people 
Um, and President Moon came in in 2017 and there, were, there, were, there was the tangible, genuine hope in the country yes. that it was going to be a Gwangamun president, a president of the people, a feminist president, a president for gender yes. equality, president of peace and reconciliation with North Korea mm. and an end to collusion between government and big business. The yes. Samsung chief gets put in jail. The yeah. president gets put in jail. We're going to clean. I don't want to say drain the swamp. That would be wrong. But, <laughs> there, was, but there was that genuine excitement yeah. that a revolution yes. of the people had happened. And I, I think perhaps one of the, the lessons that maybe Korea should learn there that was that, well, maybe it's not a correct lesson, but the expectations were too high. They, they just couldn't be met. And, and, and not one of those things really came yeah. to fruition at all which was which is a shame but that's real life you know we always have a lot of plans and we try hard but sometimes we don't succeed because they're difficult problems i wonder if the new president expectations are really low <laughs> that might yeah. like everyone's like this guy's not going to do a good job and the, <laughs> the expectations are really low that might be in his favor in some way that, you know, if, if the expectations yes. are so high, we're probably further back than we were with North mm. Korea. The, the, the Samsung chief's yeah. now back in his place. And yes. so I wonder about expectations is a big thing. Um, do you have any thoughts on the next five years? Like, is there going to be any improvements? Are we going to backslide from democracy? Do you think that the some of these challenges might be met and achieved or will daily life continue for most people while the politicians keep fighting what takes place during the next five years Sihun do you think yeah I think um I think really it's going to be um it's going to depend on two things it's the first one is going to be um the president's attitude towards um political discourse mm. um and which is um, you know, it's a really big factor that we don't know yet because the new president-elect has no experience in politics. So we really have no idea which, you know, what his what he's going to be like as a politician. Mm. Um, and um, I mean, what he's been doing recently, uh, I think personally, I don't think bodes too well. Um, uh, and that's just because, um, again, going back to that example of the prosecution, uh, reforming the prosecution service, um, you know, people who were following the process uh, will know that they actually did reach an agreement uh, at some point. The two mm. parties did reach an agreement, but then the opposite, the conservative party of the new president-elect actually went back on that agreement and kind of turned it down, which is why we sort of returned to the fighting that we um, started off with so I think just looking at that as well you know as the president um, you know it's really important that you are able to balance between representing the people but also um, you know governing which I think you know it's ideally those two things are identical and they align um, but mm. sometimes especially when you're working with opposition uh, when you're working with the opposition you do need to compromise at certain points with certain things. And I think this was one of those case, uh, one of those examples where uh, the outcome would have been much better for both sides if 
there had been some, if there, if the attitude uh, of the politicians had been much more uh, focused on finding an agreement and finding that compromise, rather than each trying to push forward with their uh, personal agendas. Um, so, I, I mean, I talked about uh, earlier the ruling party sort of um, kind of pushing forward with this initiative because they have the majority in the National Assembly, but. Um, you know, it was just as much, I think the Conservative Party was just as much to blame for um, the agreement falling apart and um, the outcome that we have right now as the Democratic Party was. Um, and, you know, obviously we don't really know the full details yet, but there were a lot of people who said that one of the main reasons why we kind of turned the Conservative Party uh, turned back on the that agreement that they had was because of President-elect Yoon and his sort of influence, um, which I think also it's uh, it's a little bit concerning because if you think about it, uh, you know Korea is a uh, presidential republic, so we have uh, you know a separate uh, executive and legislative branch, and they're separate for a reason. Um, so the president, um, you know, and you know he's not even really the president yet; he's the president-elect having that much influence over what goes on in the National Assembly over, you know, the legislative branch, I think is a little bit, um, uh, a little bit dangerous. Uh, if we're thinking about it in, you know, democratic terms of, you know, is there a separation of powers? Um, and is there, are there checks and balances? Um, because that was one of the problems, I think, with the Moon administration was that um, basically the Democratic Party was the government. They were the executive, the legislative, and the judicial branch. Uh, that was a common criticism. Mm. You know, so if we have that again for five years, it's and it's just that the parties changed to the conservative party, you know, what difference uh, is there from the previous administration that the conservative party criticized so much uh, if they're going to be doing the exact same things? Uh, and number two is the outcome of the next a couple of elections. I think those will really determine how things go uh, the next five years as well. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm i hoping that we'll have a much more balanced National Assembly uh, because, you know, if any, obviously a certain faction is going to have a majority just because of the way that numbers work. Um, but um, having a super majority like the one that the Democratic Party had like the last uh since the last um elections i think you know that's basically going back to my first point that's going to really support um the idea that a single political party can dominate an entire government um which i don't think works well and it didn't work well um this time uh so it's going to basically kill discussion it's going to kill debate uh, which I think we need right now, especially because we are so divided. Um, and so I, I'm hoping that we'll have a much more balanced National Assembly. And the more balanced the National Assembly is, even I would go as far as to say that uh, it might even be better if the Democratic Party retains to a certain extent their majority in the National Assembly, just so that we can guarantee that um, uh, the National Assembly and the presidential office um, actually have to work together and discuss and find compromise rather than um, kind of pushing forward with the political agenda of a single political party. Mm. 
and just focusing on trying to put each other in jail and things yes. like this. Which, <laughs> because again, it's the people that suffer, isn't it? So let's yes. let's consider the people. Um, and by the way, in this conversation, three years ago, people said that Korean conservatism was dead forever and there yes. would be decades of democratic party rule. And yes. Korean politics changes so quickly, man. Very like, quickly. You mentioned the names of the parties, the colors, but yes. also the winners and losers. It's all over mm. the place. You you demonstrate a really good, solid understanding of it, and you convey it uh, so clearly because I guess one of the things that you, some young people say to me at universities is like, David, politics is hard. And <laughs> it is sometimes. It is. <laughs> it's really confusing. Let me ask you about the power of the people here yeah. and representative, because that's what we associate yes. with democracies, I think. Yeah. And um, I would, somebody once, this week there was, they're gonna re remove the mask mandate outside in yes. South Korea. And what was interesting is there was an announcement about an announcement. Right. So they, they come out and they say, in two days, we're going to announce that masks are going to be off. And yeah. so they were announcing an announcement and some people were confused by that. And and what I what I suggested, and I want to get your take, is that the government or politicians, the ruling party, whoever they might be, will sort of yeah. suggest we're, we're probably going to do this. And they put it out there to the people and they test the waters. And if the public lose their shit, they're like, oh, we, we'll think about it. Like, hang on, hang on. But yeah. if, if it seems to be OK, then they'll go ahead with it. But it's it, it seems to and even the president or, you know, whoever they might be, the leaders go, we need to reflect public opinion. Mm. They don't say we need to uphold the law or we need to uphold yes. values. There is always a constant attention to public opinion and making sure the public is right. The public hold a lot of power in South Korea, don't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, they do. And at the same time, they don't. And it's <laughs> uh, it's somewhat, um, I guess, uh, it, if you look at it um, with a sort of lighthearted uh, point of, from a lighthearted point of view, it's uh, it could come off as pretty comedic as well. Uh, with political parties, because, um, like you said, they talk a lot about public opinion, but mm. they only talk about public opinion when it's in their favor. <laughs> um, and the moment you know public opinion turns against them, it's you know oh the polls are incorrect or it's not mm. actually accurate. It's not an accurate reflection of the public opinion, or you know we we have to get this done no matter what. Um, and I think uh, I definitely agree with you, uh, especially. I think after the presidential elections, uh, something that a lot of people, you know, kind of um, forget, or and even politicians, is that the next elections are just like a month away now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like they're really close. Um, so technically, like right after the presidential election was over, that's still now we're just going back into the election cycle again. And you know that's the pattern with um, any political party, any and any politician during any election cycle is they test the water, uh, and they are very careful about what they say. Um, uh, and you know I think that's the same thing with the mask mandate was um, the current Moon administration and President Moon and his presidential office um, in the lead up to the presidential election as well they were really careful. Uh, about what they suit, what they do, and what they say, and I think you could tell um, through uh, 
their actions, they were a lot more quiet than they used to be before. Um, they weren't really um, announcing a lot of like new initiatives or new events or new projects. Uh, they were keeping things, you know, stable uh, and steady so that there was nothing really to criticize. Uh, and at the same time, nothing really to praise. Um, and yeah, so definitely, again, I think it's a similar situation where, you know, the Democratic Party lost the presidential election. So really, their number one priority now is winning the local elections. Um, and that way, at the very least, they can somewhat um, retain um, their political power that they have in the government. Um, and, you know, it's also a lot of it has to do with, um, I think, in Korea, Korean politics, and I want to say also in some of the politics of other countries, there's really strong factionalism. Yeah. Um, but especially in Korea, you're going to hear a lot about um, the keppa of different political parties, like pro-yoon uh, politicians or pro-lee politicians, pro-moon. Um, and I think a lot of that also comes into play when politicians and the government is sort of um, deciding what to say and when to say things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very calculated. Um, and right now, the Democratic Party is very split, I would say, between, I mean, the Conservative Party is also very split, but the Democratic Party is split between their uh, more pro-Lee politicians, Lee being the uh previous uh, Democratic candidate, uh, Lee Jae-myung, and then uh, basically those politicians who are opposed to um, or who aren't necessarily pro-Lee. Mm. Uh, and I think it's really the thing with um, President Moon and the presidential office is they're in a really tough spot. Uh, they're in a really very tricky situation where uh, basically nothing's gone the way that they would have wanted it things to go they lost the presidential election so they're going to have to transition over there's a um the prosecution reform uh is also a major issue and obviously if uh the prosecution reform uh doesn't happen or doesn't pass uh there's concerns um that you know they're going to investigate the current president and his associates in the presidential office mm. and they're likely going to find something uh, which is, you know, that's what the prosecution service in Korea excels at, is finding dirt on Korean presidents. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's also within the political party itself. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit careful to say, like, to assume things, but just based on uh, my understanding personally and what I've seen on the news, uh, President Moon and President uh, former presidential candidate Lee uh, aren't necessarily on the same faction within their political party as well. Yeah. Uh, they actually were ran against each other in the previous presidential election preliminaries. Uh, and in this case as well, I would say what the person that many people consider to be sort of um, President Moon's successor or potential successor, Yi um, Nagyeon, uh, actually lost the preliminaries to Lee Jae-myung as well. Mm. Um, and there was an active attempt by Lee Jae-myung during the presidential election to distance himself from President Moon and some of his failed policies. Yep. Um, so there is a lot of tension within the party as well. So from you know the president's perspective, President Moon's perspective, 
right now is not the time to make any dangerous moves. Uh, even if it has nothing to do with politics and it's just mask, uh, it's just a mask mandate. Mm. Um, public opinion is already bad enough towards um, the Moon administration, and it's already divided enough, um, not just as a whole, but even amongst supporters of the Democratic Party. Um, so I think that's why they're paying even more attention uh, to being careful and sort of watching where they're stepping. I think it's a really interesting observation you make, Sion, that the Democratic Party lost. And I, I think personally that's the correct take because they had the majority, they had the mandate, the Conservative Party were dead and buried and yet somehow they contrived to lose yeah. this even with president moon's popularity he's got some devout supporters and his yes. popularity was still but even that wasn't enough and like you say Lee Jae-myung distanced himself perhaps Lee Nagyeon might have won i think the Choguk one was the big thing yeah that was definitely I, a very big blow there was the appointed successor i think there was this mm. handsome smart relatively young man that was going to come in be the minister of justice then perhaps the president and and that was going to be that but president-elect yun sokyo investigate yeah. and we've seen how that all plays out and yes i'm sure people probably know this but for those that don't but then president-elect yun sokyo was hand-picked by president moon yes to be the special Very... Shihan, it's all like a Maktang drama, really, isn't it? It's, yeah, it we've, is. we've done nearly like three hours, but I, I, we still haven't got to the bottom of Korean politics. We, <laughs> we'll definitely do a follow up on this, I think, at some point. But you're right. The elections continue. Um, I'm I'm pretty positive about the future because of people like you and people that I talk to. Let's um, I'll ask you a couple more questions, as I think, as we try to wrap this up, Sihun. Um, just imagine for me, you have power, fiat to do anything regarding Korean politics. And this doesn't mean like, oh, I can't do that because that would never work or the people wouldn't agree with it. Let's just say like you yes. can do the you can do the Thanos snap or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, it's a ridiculous question, but what is it that you would do? There's one thing that you can do to either affect Korean politics, change society. I mean, would, where would your interest be? What would it be that you think would have the greatest effect? Either for good or bad, you can be Thanos if you want in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> Bomb Japan! I, I, I don't find... <laughs> it's But you have power and fiat to do one thing vis-a-vis -vis Korean politics. What is it, do you think? Um, I would say... I would, I would say the potential solution and this might be very controversial i mean i have no idea if it's actually going to work but um finding some way to unify with north korea i think that might actually provide a lot of um a lot of the things that korea needs right now um moving forward in the sense that number one there's the obvious economic uh, advantages of having a larger country <laughs> um a larger population and north korea also has more natural resources cheap labor uh, yeah uh i mean <laughs> uh and it's also it would also open up um i mean uh borders somewhat as well i would imagine mm. um yeah but 
at the same time, politically speaking, I think it would also unify the Korean people a lot more if we have that um, task that we need to focus on. Because I think one of the things that right now, uh, one of the reasons why Korea is so divided is that we don't have um, a single mission that we all agree we need to accomplish, that we need to focus on. Um, as we used to have in the past with like economic growth and democratization, uh, we had those goals, the people had those goals that they all agreed, you know, we need to focus on this, we need to get this done for our country to move forward. Now that we've kind of moved past all of that, uh, we're sort of stuck in this uh, awkward phase of our country's history where um, possibly for the first time, we don't really know what we need to do to move forward. Um, and I think obviously at some people consider the main, the next uh, main mission to be, um, normalizing relations with North Korea, possibly even unification. Um, that was definitely maybe not to the extent of unification, but normalizing relations was definitely one of the main goals of the uh, Moon administration. Um, and I think once we can achieve that, um, if we can achieve, obviously the main difficulty is whether or not we can achieve that with a dictator in North Korea. Uh, but if we can achieve that, we will be able to, um, I would imagine, basically have that as our next goal where we're uh, working with uh, former North Koreans, uh, if we're able to unify to kind of re uh, rebuild North Korea, um, to rebuild the Korean country, I, I guess it wouldn't be called South and North Korea anymore, um, as a unified country um, and really establish um, ourselves uh, in the region as well as internationally. Call it Samsung. <laughs> I'm only half joking, but I, I, I made a point about the cheap labor, but the infrastructure, the development. There is a reason that President Moon took the, the heads of the Chebol up to Bektusan when he visited yes. and things like that. He was trying to show that. Um, I, I think this has been a dream of many, many people. I, I do hear talk that um, that I do hear talk of China taking North Korea. Yeah, as a solution, <laughs> uh, which would also open up borders in certain ways, because you would uh, one of the Kim Dae-jung and President Moon policies was about the trains and getting yes. them to be able to go through. Can't really go through Russia at the moment. So that plan is complete. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea that you could connect to the mainland yes. and have those, um, you know, China taking North Korea would have been one of the ideas because a lot of the media attention is on China taking Taiwan. But. Taiwan's a democracy far away, and you need yes. amphibious operations to get and take that. China and yeah. North Korea are connected. There's people going back a and forth a lot easier. But yeah. then what does South Korea have to say about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> South Koreans wouldn't like that too much. No, I I, I don't think they would. It's a, it's, it's a situation that I, I sometimes explore in my... Uh, lectures on North Korea, and I've done a lot of research on it. Honik Gwon is one of the Korean scholars that puts this forward, that the Cold War didn't end in on the Korean peninsula. For most yeah. of Eastern Europe, the borders were redrawn, there were new nations founded, ideologies changed, but that hasn't happened yet here. The, the same, the system that was put in place in uh, 
1945 and the establishment in 1948 of the two Korea, that's still in place. There, there has been no fall of the wall or David Hasselhoff in leather pants singing songs. <laughs> you probably don't know who David Hasselhoff is, do you? He's a, he's no, the, I do. <laughs> you do? You do? How, yeah. how do you know who David Hasselhoff is? Uh, um, yeah. I, okay. I mean, he actually... Uh... Uh, uh, he came out i guess he didn't come out but he was referred to in guardians of the galaxy <laughs> okay okay oh yeah, yeah. So. well done guardians so we've done yes. thanos and we've done guardians of the galaxy yes. <laughs> getting our cultural references in um looking we could probably talk about north korea for another three hours as yeah. well right <laughs> that, um but just looking to the future shihun you you're already doing so much at a young age and and it's been fantastic talking to you. What does the future hold? Are, are you going to be president in 30 years? Are you going into <laughs> politics? Are you going to be an e-gamer or I, I, I don't know what, what happens in your future? Um, well, I think, uh, um, there's definitely a certain level of uncertainty, <laughs> uh, in towards the future. I think, especially for a lot of people, um, a lot of current like students uh mm -hmm. just because you know we grew up basically with um teachers and like the media telling us you know like 90 percent of uh jobs are going to be taken over by ai by the time you're grown up so it's kind of um a question of okay then what do what will be left for us to do um but i know a lot of uh, my friends and i think myself included um what we're really looking towards uh, is as being sort of the next um, uh, the next doctor, the next lawyer, like some of those professions that, you know, people are, are, would kind of say, um, or I guess like maybe in Western culture, I think there's also like ro being a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon, those mm -hmm. kind of professions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really the next thing is being um, uh being an entrepreneur, essentially, uh, just because we're, we grew up basically looking at people like Elon Musk with Tesla and SpaceX. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think that's really um, the direction that I think a lot of students and young people are headed towards because it's no longer about, you know, picking one subject area or picking one specific position, uh, profession and pursuing that path um it's um now it's sort of a fusion between mm -hmm. different areas of uh, knowledge and areas of uh, professions uh like it's not good enough to just be a doctor or just be a lawyer um you kind of need to mix and match between different areas um oftentimes areas that may not even necessarily uh, appear to match all that well in the um at, on the surface level um, so I think that's definitely, uh, one direction, but uh, I mean, uh, I am interested in politics as well, uh, and interested in, you know, social issues and what's going on in the world. So I definitely do think, um, uh, I, I, I don't know if I would, I'll end up as a politician, <laughs> um, especially in Korea, uh, maybe I'll see, what happens to President Moon first? <laughs> but, but I think, yeah, I think I'll definitely remain um, kind of very interested, and uh, I, I think 
just my nature and my personality, I think I'll be drawn to politics, even if I don't, um, if even if I choose another profession. When I spoke to Dr. Bong Young Shik about politics, I've had dinner with him since and things like that. He, his father was a politician, and I asked him, like, Young Shik, Dr. Bong, like, what about politics? And he said, I'm not the right personality. Like, be, do you know what I mean? There, there are certain personalities. Yeah. It's not always about knowledge or, but he was like, I'm too, I think he knew that the strain it would take on him mm. um, if he were to do that. You mentioned the future. You mentioned Elon Musk and things like this, right? Who's recently bought Twitter. It would seem yes. like 44 <laughs> billion. Yeah. I, one of his, I don't know if you saw this, he tweeted out uh, and said, the next thing I'm going to do is buy Coca-Cola and put cocaine back in it. Yeah, and put Coke back in it, yeah. <laughs> He's just a wum, isn't he? It's amazing. Um, and so, but there's a serious question here that I want to ask you, which is about the future and about the vision of the future, because it seems to me that we're living out the vision of the future that was created in the in the 80s and the 90s and mm -hmm. these kind of things. All this is like, you know star trek and things like this yeah. it's the the future that we're living has already been imagined but one of the questions i sometimes try to put to young people is what does the future look like i mean not our future but your future and and they might say something like oh flying cars and i'm like yeah, but <laughs> that's back to the future that's i mean <laughs> is there another future is there a future that you can envisage that's not yet been envisaged. And I think Elon Musk is somebody that does something like that, actually. He yeah. he views things that are not in our current paradigm and he, he looks forward and whatever your take on his uh, Twitter conversations or personality might be otherwise, I respect him uh, for the mm. fact that he he v views things outside the current paradigm. Yes. I don't expect you to be like Elon Musk, she <laughs> Sihun, but like, what does the future look like? If you understand the context of that question, is there a future that you can envisage? Um, I think, I think there are different ways of looking at the future. Obviously, I, it depends on your perspective. It depends on the level of uh, optimism or pessimism that you have. Yeah. Um, I, I think. Personally, um, I'm someone who thinks that, um, you know, I, I said earlier, you know, we kind of grew up with people saying, you know, AIs are going to take over um, basically the world. Uh, I'm personally someone who doesn't think that's actually going to end up happening. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the things that were uh, that's going on right now, um, especially in terms of sort of if we're looking at it uh, globally, uh, relationships between countries, um, uh, like intergovernmental um, projects or initiatives uh, and like organizations like the UN. Um, I think all of those things um, are really going to change very dramatically uh, by the time we're grown up. Um, and the reason now, I'm not entirely sure how it's going to change, um, uh, but I do think that it will change. And the reason for that is because um, I think humanity is um, 
I think something that makes um, every sort of generation and every um, group of people that make up what we call humanity at mm -hmm. any given point in time very different um, at different points in time at the, in different places is the fact that we have different values and that we have different ideas. Um, so this was actually something that I was talking about with one of my friends recently was, you know, is there really an absolute sort of idea of this is justice or this is, you know, morally correct. This is what we should absolutely strive towards as humanity. Mm. Uh, and personally, I thought that there wasn't really an absolute truth or an absolute um, justice. And the reason for that, I think, is because, you know, we're constantly changing and change doesn't necessarily mean that we're constantly developing or that we're progressing towards something. Uh, it just means that we're not, we're different and that we have uh, different ideas and different perspectives than what we used to have. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily, uh, I don't think we need to improve um, our values. Um, more so we need to uh, constantly be open to change and open to different ideas. And I think it's, so the example I gave was, um, you know, going back a few hundred, year, a few hundred years, um, slavery was very prominent in uh, many cultures, especially in Western culture. Um, and, you know, so was colonialism. And a lot of times those acts that we would consider to be very immoral and unjustifiable now were justified back then to a certain extent. And, um, you know, who knows um, what people 50 years from now or even 100 years from now are going to be thinking about what we're doing right now that we might consider to be completely normal and fine but mm. they're like no like people in the 21st century were really immoral and they were you know very outdated for thinking that way um and then you also never really know um what ideas might make a comeback i think it's sort of like the games that i was talking about earlier uh, it's to a certain extent it's quite arbitrary um, and it's random which ideas are popular at different times. Some ideas make a comeback. Some ideas just kind of die away uh, after some time. Um, so I think it's uh, not so much um, about uh, striving towards a future that uh, we can uh, imagine. Um, and I think that actually, I feel like I'm... Uh, in some ways avoiding the question but uh it's a difficult think, one yeah yeah i think your question itself is sort of the answer um to what's going to happen in the future is that it's not going to be something we can imagine right now and it's and if it is something we can imagine right now it's probably not what's actually going to end up happening mm. um uh just because we're constantly changing so all like no matter what, as people living in this current time and age, even Elon Musk, who, you know, definitely does think much more outside the box than a lot of other people, um, he's still thinking within what he knows and what he thinks uh, as a person living in the 21st century in 2022. Mm. Uh, and that limits it somewhat. So I think it's um, a question that you know, can really only be answered once we get to that point.
like if we ask someone in 1950 mm. what do you think is going to be happening in 2022 uh they probably wouldn't be able to answer and i think if we were to ask someone in 2021 like last year i think they would still have just as hard a time answering what's going to happen in 2022 mm. uh, as the person from 1950 um so yeah so you're more of a Hegelian or an or a Marxist than a, than a, a Plato or a, a Platonist that has these you know big abstract theories. I don't say that with any disrespect, by the way. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's okay to be a Marxist sometimes if you're talking about historical <laughs> dialects. Um, just don't let your parents hear you saying that. I said that. Um, no, but it's you're right that we we don't know the future because we we can't put ourselves into that consciousness. I, I guess the reason I asked it is. Um, you're right. And there are so many different approaches, but the, the cultural critic Mark Fisher sort of said that the he had this idea, which I'm, I'm a little bit fascinated by, that the uh, it might just be because I'm a bit old and cynical, which is why I talk to young people like you, Sihun, is that um, the we're just living out 20th century content on 21st century devices, that we're, we're still listening to, to Coldplay and hip hop and rap, and it's all the old stuff. Um, but the, the technology is improving, but what we're doing isn't. We're still kind of stuck um, uh, because of neoliberalism and, and we're here. But you are the future. And in that sense, let me ask you this final question. And it's been fascinating to talk to you. I've really, just before we finish, Sihun, I, I will say that I think we could have explored so many more of these conversations the one about gender equality and the ministry of that uh, north korea politics we could have gone even deeper into all of those for many hours i think so we'll have to do a follow-up at some point you've said that there are no perhaps ultimate values of justice or truth and that change is that in that context this last question then sihun which i've asked to many of my guests we're all in this world together and whether we ask to be or not but now that we are here what can we do to give our lives more value what can we do to give meaning uh, to the people around us what is the meaning of life Sihun? i think the meaning of life is um ultimately um leaving some sort of uh, positive impact. I think I would say that's sort of um, really the ultimate goal. Um, and I think, you know, obviously um, the way, the best way to do that is by taking action and by uh, actually going out in the world and um, sort of not being afraid to um, engage in conversations, engage in uh, different activities, meet new people. And I think it's really um, something important um, for many people to realize that oftentimes we think of, you know, historical figures as being, you know, like kings and queens and uh, like dictators, people who are beyond, uh, to a certain extent, the realm of the average citizen or the average person. Um, but I think increasingly that's no longer the case. You know, you can be an average person like the an average high school student in Korea and still have a significant historical impact or leave some sort of um, impact. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be historical. 
you know, for example, if you're um, working at some uh, company and you help to establish um, some new idea or new project that really um, uh, ends up making the company very popular or very successful, you know, that's a very big impact as well. Uh, and, you know, there's a million other ways that you can do that. And I think it's kind of going back to, uh, there's something uh, my grandfather once told me, uh, which is that there are basically two ways that um, you can impact uh, history. Uh, and the first way is by being the first to do something. Um, and the second way is being the greatest at something. And I think that's really um you know, if we think about it, those two things are both, you know, very easy things to do to a certain extent, as long as we put our mind to it. And as long as we really dedicate ourselves to it, um, you know, that's exactly what uh, thousands and like even millions of people do every day, uh, everywhere in the world. Um, you don't have to be the president of a country. You don't have to be like a uh, Olympic athlete with five gold medals to be historically significant or to be socially significant. Um, I think um, probably the best example I can come up with right now is Greta Thunberg, um, you know, who's uh, like in basically every way a normal person um, who had, who, and is continuing to have a very significant impact in the world um, because she decided to have this um, protest for what she believed in, and it ended up um, being recognized by different people. Um, so I think, and you know, it's Greta Thunberg who did that, but it could have just as easily been uh, anyone else um, doing that exact same thing, uh, as long as they had that idea and they um, put their minds to it. So I think that's really the meaning of life is finding something that you really care about. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can come by accident. Uh, it doesn't have to be something that you consciously search for and you have to recognize it as your passion. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of people, they realize after they've already been doing something for a long time, oh, wait, this was my passion. This is what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just realizing that and actually putting your mind to it so that you, um, you know, don't just follow what everyone else is doing, but you actually, um, even if it's a small difference, find some way to make it unique. Uh, that's the first criteria. You're the first person to do it mm -hmm. um, and find some way to really excel at whatever it is you're doing. And that would fit the second criteria. You've inspired me, Sihun. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be something that uh, you know, generates money or success or popularity. You might be the first person uh, to say hello to the old lady on the subway that hasn't spoken to yes. someone for a long time. It can be a very small thing, but you can you can impact people's lives in those ways. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, we don't need to be big people to do those things it's great talking to you Sihan. thank you thank you it's great talking to you